come to you live from the AP Dome. This is the AP Pod. I am the apteplectic porcupine, Aaron Poling. And coming up on today's show... Well, we've got an especially dirty hippie here down on the court trying to sink an impossible shot. My buddy Aaron McClory stops by, and we're going to discuss the NHL and the NBA playoffs. Today we have a special treat for you, my buddy from the now defunct greatest show ever on the radio, the Aaron Show for WCKS The Whale. My buddy Aaron McClory, the especially dirty hippie, the Duke from Semi-Pro. He's come to join me. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you start. What's been the most fascinating thing to you about the playoffs so I mean, far? The most fascinating thing about the playoffs so far has got to be the Phoenix Suns run. Chris Paul finally, like, I don't want to say finally because he kind of led those Houston Rockets in 2018 to a conference final, but, you know, he's back to the conference finals in 2021 and can't wait to see it. I Honestly, I'm really pulling for the Suns to win. Let's get into that series first. So the Suns swept the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone was really expecting that. I certainly wasn't at all. Like, what is it? Jamal Murray got hurt. Gary Harris got traded. Monte Morris was injured. He was in and out. And then Will Barton was in and out, too. So just the guard rotation for the Nuggets couldn't keep up. Like, they had Campazzo and Austin Rivers starting games for you in the playoffs. And that's just simply not ideal. Yeah. The Nuggets, to me, were kind of... That was definitely a surprise to me too as well but the biggest shock for me was last night in game four of the series with the team down 3-0 the MVP Nikola Jokic got ejected for probably the weakest flagrant two I've ever seen and like listen I get that you want to call him for a flagrant on this because like he swiped him across the face and he like he even said in an interview after the game, like, I wanted to change the pace of the game with a hard foul. So it's like, it was intentionally hard foul. That's one of those, like, yeah, you want to call it a flagrant one, but, like, this is an elimination game, dude. And you're really going to toss the MVP in a game where his team can get eliminated? Like, I get it. He's down 3-0, and no team in the NBA has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. But, like, are you kidding me, man? If there was a team that was going to do it, it'd be a team with an MVP on it. Like, And, I mean, they came back from two 3-1 deficits last year, the Nuggets did. Yeah, so two it's, of a te- them. it's a team that has a lot of fight in them, but when your MVP gets ejected, that's just that's just tough. And, I mean, it didn't help either that Jamal Murray tore his ACL in April. Like, after the Nuggets traded for Aaron Gordon, they looked like legitimate title contenders. They looked fantastic. They won, like, 9 of 10 games, and then, bam, Murray tore, just tears his ACL, and... Everything's gone after that. Like, they held up, sure, but, yeah, without him, there was nothing they were going to do against Phoenix. For as much as we're talking about the Denver Nuggets, I think we have to give the Phoenix Suns more credit than what we're doing. Devin Booker, since the bubble last year, has been on a terror, and he's probably going to be one of the top, I'd say, five players in the next five years in the NBA. I mean, he might already be a top, he probably is already a top ten player right now, if we're being honest, and then... Just playing with Chris Paul, that takes off so much pressure on you. Like, when Chris Paul got injured against the Lakers, we saw how, I don't really want to say just slow the offense got because it was still working with Booker initiating things. But it's just such a different game with Chris Paul being able to control the flow. Like, this is a Hall of Fame player. This He might be the greatest point guard, true point guard of all time. Like, there's 
plenty of semantics to go in with Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, and everything. But, you know, Chris Paul, this might be the best basketball he's ever played. A point guard that runs the offense, I'd say he's top two. It's him and Magic Johnson. Obviously, Steph Curry is a point guard, but he doesn't necessarily facilitate as much as Chris Paul. Uh, let's get back to – let's start at round one right now. We got all of our excitement and the biggest shock for us out of the way. That's true. Um, well, might as well start with their first series, the Suns-Lakers. Oh, my goodness. So, at game one, I mean, it was kind of just, you know, your regular game. Like, it was a good game to start off. <clears throat> and then in the second quarter, boom, Chris Paul goes down with an injury. And it looked bad. Right away it looked bad. And immediately, because he's been injured in the playoffs before, right? Like, the whole reason that Rockets team in 2018 didn't go to the finals was because he pulled his hamstring. Then he broke his hand with the Clippers against the Blazers. He had another hamstring pull with the Clippers a year before that. Like, there were three different times with Lob City that he got injured and was out of the playoffs, and then that Rockets title run. And, of course, you know, he makes it to the two-seed with the Suns in his first year, and then, boom, goes down with a shoulder injury that looks really, really bad. So, of course, I and a lot of other people were like, oh, my God, really, he's going to be out for this playoffs now? But, you know, hey, he came back, and it only cost him, like, a game and a half, too. Like, he was only hurt for, like, a game and a half, and back better than ever now. Well, flip it to the other side where Anthony Davis got hurt, yep. and he missed some legit time. And they brought him back when he didn't need to be brought. Like, I don't want to say didn't need to be brought back, because if you don't play him, you have no chance, right? But they played him. I think it was game five where they played him and he was still hurt and he re- just aggravated the injury even more and he was he was done. He was out. In game six, I think. I think it was game six where was he came back. Six? Yeah, it was game six because he played the first seven minutes and he got exploited on the defensive end, which yep. Anthony Davis never gets exploited on defense. He's one of the best defenders in the league, especially mm-hmm. at the rim. Exactly. And uh, as such, it's LeBron and a whole bunch of question marks around him. And LeBron, like... He wasn't right. Like, he certainly wasn't right in that series, but he could have done more, I think. And I think the ankle's still bothering him more than it he shows or he tells, just because at that age, he's, what, 37 now? I think he's still 36, but, like, either oh, way. He's, he's still, still old. Like, in NBA's terms, he is old. Mm-hmm. This is a young man's game, and this is, like, the first... Think about it. This is almost the first real injury that he's had to deal with while he's been in the playoffs. Like, this is the second big injury of his career. There was the groin thing his first year with the Lakers. Like, they they used the word tear. Like, some reports said that he tore his groin. He had a tear in there. But, like, he came back to play midseason. So there's, you know, conflicting reports. But, you know, this is, yeah, LeBron's first injury in the playoffs. And it was his first time losing in the first round of the playoffs ever. Does that affect his legacy? I'll go first. I don't think it does. I think it's ridiculous to say that him losing to a team that's going to the Western Conference Finals that has a very good shot at making it to the actual finals. Losing to that team in the first round, there's no shame in that at all. I mean, Jordan lost three straight first-round series without Scottie Pippen on his team, and all of those series were to... I don't remember off the top of my head if it was all of those series, but I know two of those series were to Larry Bird's Celtics. How dare you not know basketball history of when you weren't born? Exactly, right. It's unfortunate. I mean, I should I should know because I've seen. That's nah, all right. You know. You're fine. We'll, we'll for, I'll forgive you anyways. That's good. As long as you can still name the Seattle Seahawks seven defensive um, players, defensive linemen, excuse me, <laughs> I think I'll forgive you. Well, that's, uh, that's very much appreciated. All right, back on topic, though, because if we start getting off topic, yeah, we are going to eventually forever. be talking about the World Quidditch League. That's true. So, um... 
getting back on topic, yeah, it was a real big shock to see. Like, I picked the Lakers to make the finals. I did and, as well. Like, this The Lakers versus Suns series is always going to be a toss-up regardless of injury, too. But just to see the Suns knock out the Lakers this way, like, that had to do a ton for their confidence. And just getting the Nuggets in the second round, that's a little, like, obviously not that the Nuggets aren't good. They're fantastic. But going from the Lakers to the Nuggets, I don't know. I feel like there's just a confidence factor that they're definitely, you're definitely more confident going to face the Nuggets. Especially a depleted Nuggets team. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah, that guard rotation, too. Your, first, your top four guards, literally, are from the start of the season, are not playing. And then you've got to play against probably the best backcourt in the league at the moment. One of the things that really impressed me about Denver, and nobody thinks about this when teams play in Colorado, is just the adjustment that you have to make to that high altitude. Mm-hmm. It's the best, the best home court, home ice, home anything advantage. Mm-hmm. Just because maybe in the game by game two of a series that you play in that in the arena in Denver, by game two you might be adjusted to the altitude, but game one usually they come out and teams will just absolutely get dominated in Col- in Colorado in any sport mm-hmm. just because they haven't adjusted the altitude yet and i don't know how much of a factor that made in the portland series i mean i think that denver's just better than portland straight up like sure the blazers are a pretty solid team like damian lillard i think the world of him and cj mccollum's really really good as well but you know, that's a team that's got to do something else or else they're going to keep losing in the playoffs like first or second round like they did here. Yeah, I would love to see those two players on a different team playing with other superstars. Not that both of them aren't superstars, but imagine a team with Dame Lillard, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Oh, Damian Lillard on the lake. That's the laziest super team. Oh, I don't want that to happen. Yeah, but that's just the that was just something that the oh, first thing sure. that popped into my head, but like I was going to say Warriors, too, but I don't think anyone wants to see the Warriors I'd do good. I'd rather see Dame on the Warriors than on the Lakers, just to be honest. That'd be, that'd be incredible. But uh, let's, get to, let's get to the 3-6 in the West. What was the 3-6 matchup? 3-6 in the West? That was 3-6. Nuggets or, and Blazers. Excuse me, yeah, you're right. Nuggets and Blazers. Uh, the Jazz right. and the Grizzlies. That's what I was trying Jazz to think and Grizzlies, of. Jazz and Grizzlies, that's one versus eight. But that was, you know, that was a really interesting series, too. Because john morant's gonna break out next year more than he already did already did for sure but next year everyone's gonna know his name he is incredible that's a five game series but that was not like a hard loss in five games those were all close games that's one of the like they were all blowouts to start and then just whoever was getting blown out was coming back like in game one memphis was kicking the crap out of utah and then utah came back and made it a close game and memphis did the same thing in games two and three I like this Grizzlies team. I think in about three or four years, they could be basically the Phoenix Suns. Jaron Jackson was hurt all year, too. Yeah, where you add that one last key piece, and suddenly they're just going to take off. Mm-hmm. And all like what really matters here is they need to find out who that key piece is because you've got your lead ball handler now in John Morant, and now you need a wing because Jaron Jackson... He's this weird in-between player. I don't know if he's a true five, but he's got so much talent that if you pair one more big name with him and John Morant, things are going to click in Memphis for sure. Absolutely. Uh, who do you think that would be? I mean, just obviously off the top of your head, like thinking who would be that next wing player? Man, like Bradley Beal's the obvious name of people, like players that might end up asking for a trade. There's, I would say Paul George. 
Like, if he gets, tra- like, he's on a max contract with the Clippers, sure, but that's only if Kawhi leaves. And I don't think Kawhi's going to leave now that, you know, the Clippers didn't lose in round one. But, you see, I can't really think up a solid name now because there's so many star free agents in 2022. And then it just comes to, like, signing and trading. So, what they just need is a wing, ultimately. Like, if Jalen Brown all of a sudden just doesn't want to be on the Celtics for whatever reason, that'd be huge if Jalen Brown were on the Grizzlies with John, Jaron Jackson. Yeah, you already said the name I was thinking. If Kawhi walks, I think Memphis is an undercover spot for him to go. I think his game is that grit and grind style that Memphis loves. He'd be beloved there, and I think he would be the key piece to make them a really good team. I don't know if they win the championship right away. With Kawhi Leonard, they might. They might, though. I, but think they, I think they would, probably. I would love to see John Morant run the offense with Kawhi. It'd be good to see Kawhi not have to run his own offense, too. Because, like, with Kyle Lowry the one year, that's why the Raptors did so good. Because Kawhi didn't have to completely run the offense. He could just cook on his own. And that's why he's scoring 30 points per game in the playoffs. Because Lowry can run the offense and Kawhi can just do his thing. And, you know, like, he can isolate, sure. But then he can just do his own thing off sets, off screens. Well, let's get into Kawhi's first-round series. That's true. That's the one we're missing, was, right? Oh, my goodness. That was a series. That was a series. The Mavericks versus the Clippers. Yeah. Uh, I love Luka Doncic's game. I know you do, too. Mm-hmm. And He is a top-five player in the league already. He might be. The only players that you can fully convince me were better than him this season were LeBron and Steph Curry. Yeah. Just those two. That's it. Like, not Giannis, not any of the three from Brooklyn, not Kawhi, not whoever else is on your mind. But Yeah, I, I just love the way he plays. He's kind of got this Russell Westbrook game with a lot more finesse. He's obviously not the same athlete as Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook. He's way bigger. But the way he just commands the offense and the way that he can put up points, he can get you assists, he can get you rebounds, he's a triple-double machine. And he's like the one triple-double machine I would actually take on my team. And he's also like, he plays the game in slow motion when he's got the ball. And it's just, NBA defenders don't even know what to do with that, is the thing. Like, you're watching it and it's like, how in the world is this guy getting past everybody? Because he's dribbling, he's slow, he's not, you know, crossing anybody over or anything, but then he gets free and boom, wide open three-pointer and it's going in. Yeah, he's got such great body control that it's not even funny. I mean, Kevin Durant was talking about how to guard him in, like, a clip that went viral, him speaking to a ref. I mean, you just can't. You really can't because he's that big, yet he can do so many things. Mm -hmm. He's Kevin Durant except slower. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that's probably the best comparison to him. James Harden is a really good comparison, too. But he's way bigger than James Harden, though. Like, I mean, body size and, like, the way he can control the game, get his shot up over anyone he wants to at any time, Kevin Durant. But, like, guard play, I would say you're absolutely right with James Harden. Like, he just plays this kind of style where it's like he's going to get his shot and there's nothing you can do about it. And the problem with that is the team that's built around him. Because the Mavericks made one move this offseason to try and, like, upgrade their team that backfired big time and that was trading Seth Curry for Josh Richardson and you had Josh Richardson playing like five minutes a game in the playoffs whereas Seth Curry is excuse me playing for the Philadelphia 76ers as we speak and he's a perfect complimentary piece to Simmons and Embiid 
And last year, he was a really good complimenter. He's to Luca as well, so backfired for sure. A little Paul Bark segue right into the Sixers series, their first-round series. They were the one seed in the East, correct? Indeed. Ah, see, I got that one right. I don't know. I've watched the series, but I have not paid enough attention to where I know where each seed is. I mean, that's completely fair. But Philadelphia, they played the Washington Wizards, which that looked like it was going to be a... Like, I don't want to say just a complete domination. Two of the games were domination. But there was another game that was really close. And then Embiid gets a slight tear in his meniscus in game four, and the Wizards end up winning that game. Which, that just completely changed everyone's mindset. Because going into the half, it was just like, oh, Embiid, knee injury. And we're all like, what in the world happened here? Because Embiid is injury prone, of course. Then it's like, oh, small meniscus tear. We're like, okay, what the heck? He doesn't even miss a game. Or no, he did miss game five, but then the Sixers, you know, won that. Hasn't missed a game against the Hawks yet. Yeah, Joel Embiid, like the human body is not meant to, you know, be that big and that athletic. So he's like, he's listed at seven foot, but you I think see, he's taller. I think he's like seven two. I was gonna say, I remember in college that they were talking about he was seven three. It's amazing that like somehow in the NBA they think people shrink. Or that in college, they're either playing people up, but I, I would believe all, it, though. This is, like, sidetracked just a little bit, but there was this big, giant uh, all-star photo, and Carl Anthony Towns was taller than everybody else, including all the other seven-footers, quote-unquote. Yeah. So i just like to point that out, that Carl Anthony Towns is also, like, seven-foot, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they try to cap the height at seven-foot. I don't know why they do that. Yeah, because, like, Boban Marjanovic is listed at seven-three, yet he's... He might be taller than that, too. Yeah, he looks way taller than that. He looks like he could be on his tiptoes and headbutt the rim. He, I mean, he's dunked from his tiptoes. Oh, yeah, he's a massive dude. And he did that at a game I was at once, actually. But that's not the point here. He was on the Mavericks, by the way. He was. <clears throat> Still was like, is on the Mavericks. We just rode the Segway backwards. Indeed, we did. We got to get on the Segway, go forwards. So, yeah, the Washington Wizards end up bowing out in five to the Philadelphia 76ers. Not a surprise, though. Not really a surprise at all, but then going to uh, two versus seven, that was the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics, which on paper, huge matchup, right? Mm -hmm. Not in reality. Not at all. Sweep. Easy sweep. The Celtics front office has really, really handcuffed their roster. Their roster is depleted. It is bad. And like, That is not a good roster outside of Tatum and because Brown. Because Kemba Walker... Like, the fact that he just has not lived up to this contract. Like, year one, it looked good. And then he got a knee injury in the playoffs. And this year, he just fell off a cliff. And now he's got two years left on, like, $35 million a year. I think he'll get better. Typically, after a knee injury, the second year, you'll get better. Unless, like if, unless if he's cooked completely and just done and toasted, I think he's going to come back a little bit. He'll never be the player that he was, you know, with the Charlotte Hornets, but... That's just age, injury, just bad timing for the Celtics and for Kemba. And then Jalen Brown didn't play a single second in that playoff series either because he got hurt. That's very true. I like Jalen Brown. I like Jason Tatum. I think eventually, whenever they figure it out, whether it's Brad Stevens long-term in the front office, whenever they figure out a roster, they're going to be a good team because they have two solid key pieces mm -hmm. that for two young players combined, I would say – Maybe J Jaron Jackson and uh, John Morant maybe be the only two that I would take over them to. I'm trying to think up anyone else. Like, I can't. You see, like, part of me wants to say like Luca and Porzingis, but that's just how good Luca is. Cause yeah, Porzingis, I was gonna say that's just yeah. more of taking Luca over. 
Exactly. And, oh, actually, I was incorrect, actually. This was not a sweep. Kevin Durant, or Jason Tatum, because he played like Kevin Durant in this game, put up 50 points in a victory. It was game three. So, yeah, Brooklyn won at five. It was not a sweep. My mistake. And then Kyrie Irving stomped on the logo. How do you feel about that? You know, I don't think that matters one single bit. Like, you know, if it's going to be, like, taken as disrespect by the players, the crowd's going to boo him, sure. But, like, that got way overblown. Like, oh, he stomped on Lucky, da-da-da. And then stuff like Glenn Davis last night, talking because Kyrie Irving landed on Giannis Antetokounmpo's foot, sprained his ankle. And Glenn Davis is like, oh, that's the same foot he stomped on Lucky with. And I'm like, get out of here with that. Yeah, that's, that's what makes me believe in karma. But I come from an organization in the Marine Corps where, like, if there's, like, a Marine Corps logo on the floor, you do not walk on it. But this is also different. Like, this is the bo- this is a basketball logo. Mm-hmm. Players literally run up and down the floor on it, or run up and down the floor and mm-hmm. step on it all the time. Like, are you just going to stop allowing players to run down the middle of the floor if you can't step on it? Exactly. And then, like, the fans going and throwing bottles at them and stuff, that's... That just plays into Kyrie's narrative. That's what sucks. Because Kyrie said something kind of stupid, and then a stupid fan went out of line, and now Kyrie's right. I mean, like, I don't even know what that... Like, I don't follow anything that Kyrie says. because he's... Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I mean, there's some stuff that I don't think is, like, that horrible. But when he says stuff like, oh, I believe in flat earth, that's what I'm like, okay, Kyrie. And it's not even necessarily that. It's the whole... True, the Boston Celtics don't like him because they he flaked on him one. He uh, was they getting all, they all knew that was gonna happen though. Yeah, I mean hindsight being twenty twenty, he's kind of I wouldn't say flaking on the Nets now, but he definitely flaked halfway through the year and just decided not to play, which that's his prerogative. But you can't be upset when fans hate you for that, and they also don't like him because he's not a Boston Celtic. It's as simple as that. Boston sports fans hate. Everyone that doesn't play for their team. Yeah, Boston sports fans, they're, that's a ridiculous group of fans. It tends to be just like all it of is. them. Like, not all of them are, but it's like there's a very high concentration of just nonsense that comes from like yeah, all, like all East, big Eastern sports markets, to be honest with you. Like, I guess you could say that in like every single fandom. Yeah, I was going to say most fans, or most fandoms have their dumb fans. I just notice it a lot more with, like, Eastern. Well, we can narrow it down to, like, in Detroit, like, you got the same fans that think Jeff Blashill should be fired, the same fans that think Alavila should be fired. Like, they're both fans that only can focus in on, like, what they're seeing on the field right now, Mm -hmm. or what they're seeing on the ice right now. That's true, and then you... Actually, we're, like, way off track now. We are. That's why I was stopping there, but, like, I was just relating that back. Um, 3-6, go. 3-6, oh, yes, that, wh- good Lord, why can I not think of that off the top of my head right now? Oh, yeah, Milwaukee versus Miami. And that was a big, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? Because the Heat beat the Bucks last season. The Heat just looked tired all year. And... I don't think, like, I don't want to be that person that's like, oh, bubble frauds, da 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 But I think that the rookies from Miami, the fact that they didn't have the deal with a playoff crowd, I think that helped them so much. Absolutely. Like Duncan Robinson was a flamethrower. Tyler Hero played the best basketball he's ever played. Well, Tyler Hero is more focused on being a celebrity right now than he is a basketball player. I feel like the bubble success may have done that. Yeah. But, like, one real huge thing 
that helped the Heat beat the Bucks last year was Jay Crowder turning into a sharpshooter and shooting like 44% from three. And they, he's on Phoenix now. Yeah, we didn't mention him. But he's been a big key, and that's kind of something they're missing, that energy. Mm-hmm. Jay Crowder might, you know, even if he's not scoring, he's always going to bring energy and to he's your also, team. also, he was the guy that they would, he was one of the guys that they would throw at Giannis, like the wall that they would build. You couldn't quite do that without Jay Crowder there. You Like, you've got Trevor Ariza replacing him, and, you know, all due respect, Trevor Ariza, he's a little older than Jay Crowder, and he's not capable of bringing that same level of defensive intensity. And on top of that, you know, Losing a 43% three-point shooter in just in a series who doesn't usually shoot that well. Like, he, that was an outlier how good Crowder was that series. And as such, uh, the Heat, they looked good in game one, but other than that, that was bad. Yeah, I just think all year, like, you saw Jimmy Butler at the end of, what, game five when he, last year in the finals when he, you know, was bent over the, the scorer's table, like, at that point, you knew game six, the Lakers were going to win. Mm-hmm. They had no shot. And Jimmy it, Butler, he shot 29% for the series. That's what I mean. Like, I think I think they're all tired, and I think losing in the first round, I think the Miami Heat are going to come back and be a better team next year just because you're not going to have the sophomore slumps of Tyler Hero's bound to get better. He's just too good of a player. I think maybe someone will snatch him up in the offseason and be like, hey, a little less Instagram, a little more basketball. I don't mean to be that guy, but, like, there are some players that, you know, he's only what? Like 20. Yeah, imagine you at 20 getting all that fame, all that success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd Especially do Especially, like, as a 14th overall pick. Oh, I'd do the same thing. Like, I'm not knocking the dude. I mean, at 20 years old, it's really hard to, like, you know, handle all of that, especially in Miami and South Beach. Like, And another uh, underrated aspect of that is there's more film on what he's doing. Like, you've got all that bubble film on him, and it's like, okay, we can throw this at him now. And then how's, like, how do you adjust? It's a constant thing, like, you know, the sophomore slump, that happens for that very reason. And that's why I think the same reason he's going to bounce back is he can take that sophomore film, gets in the film room, sees what they're doing, then he's going to see how to beat it, and then he's, he's going to come back to more of his first-year averages. Mm-hmm. Which makes a whole lot of sense. So moving on to the last first-round series was... Yeah. Uh, Reggie Miller and... Oh, wait, not Reggie Miller. Trey Young. Oh man, uh, I don't I don't necessarily like Trey Young to begin with, but the fact that his old man was comparing him to Reggie Miller made me want to puke. I thought that was all like I get why he would, but your son's not Reggie Miller, sir. I'm sorry. Not yet, anyway. I don't think you'll ever be Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller in the regular season was average. Trey Young is going to be closer to Russell Westbrook than playoff Reggie Miller. Well, let's find out. Uh, <laughs> that's my that's anyway. my belief, and that belief comes in from watching him at Oklahoma, where he was averaging almost a triple double, let it go to his head, and then basically played Oklahoma almost out of the NCAA tournament. So you're ang- you're like upset about a college football team getting screwed? Well, first of all, it's not I not screwed, but like just watching that, like I mean, obviously he'll probably learn from that, but like I'm hoping that doesn't happen for at least the Hawks' sake because. I think the NBA is better when the Hawks are good. It's they're one of those like teams where I feel like it's a big market and every time they're good, usually the NBA is much better. I feel the same way about their opponent in the New York Knicks. And seeing the Knicks be this good was a complete shell shock. An absolute shell shock. But it shows you how great of a coach Tom Thibodeau is. Exactly. And like he had a lot of really good defensive players and the Knicks it, I don't know if they were outright the best defense in the league. 
stati- like statistically or anything, but that was a really good defense this entire season. I would say when like they went on that last run to move all the way up to the four seed, they were the best defense in the league. Oh yeah, just because they're not a fantastic offensive team like Derrick Rose and Julius Randle. They'll get you points, but they're gonna beat you. They'd rather play a, a 96-90 game than a, a 110, a 115-110 one, game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the playoffs, that showed because, you know, Julius Randle was their big scorer, and he did not play well in the playoffs, which it's his first time in the playoffs. So is that really him, or is that... Yeah, that, that's one thing I will give Trey Young. It was his first time in the playoffs. He's been playing... He's played spectacular. Oh, yeah. Like, Trey Young is just a whole different and i don't know what to think about trey young yet like this is what he's definitely an enigma he's definitely an enigma for sure this is year three so and i mean hey made the playoffs as a top four seed in the east it's also one of those rare draft night trades of draft picks that ends up working out well for for both both sides yeah Yeah, because you got trey young and i think they got they ended up trading down with that pick that they got from dallas i think that was the cam reddish yeah so they got trey young and cam reddish for luka Doncic. Which, I mean... That's not terrible. You'd still trade Trey and Cam for Luka, but you're not completely hurting over that. No. Not like taking Marvin Bagley over Luka or anything. Yeah, Good as Marvin Bagley may be. Marvin Bagley. Poor guy wasn't in the playoffs. Yeah. He's a good rapper, though. Not gonna lie. Oh, let's hit the second round. Let's do it. So, So, first series. We've already talked about Suns versus Nuggets a little bit. You know, a sweep. Yeah, but let's talk about what we're watching right now. The Philadelphia 76ers lead the Hawks 32-26 with 8.35 left in the second quarter. So I haven't, you know, I've been seeing bits and pieces of what's going on right here, but I do know that the Sixers went on what, it was like a 12-2 run, and that's one thing that I really am kind of nervous about with the Hawks. Like, how in the world are they going to stop Simmons and Embiid, let alone like a hot Tobias Harris? Like, their defensive I don't know. They don't have like a big defensive structure to their team to stop these, you know, big time scorers. Like, if you've got a big guy who can score, I don't know what you do because you can throw Bogdanovich on a smaller guard and be like, okay. But even Tobias Harris, I don't know how you stop him. Let alone Simmons and Embiid. If there's one knock on Trey Young, it's he's not that great defensively. Oh, he's horrendous defensively. And I think a lot of it is he's not the biggest guard in the world. But he, he's a steel hunter, too. Him and Steph Curry are very similar on defense, where for some reason Steph gets praised for it. But The thing about Steph is he's an off-ball. He's a good off-ball defender. Mm-hmm. But he's not like when you get him in like an isolation situation, you're obviously probably going to cook him. Yeah. He's so small. But and he's a really good team defender. He knows how to guard against screens. He knows how to run through those. knows how to like when to go under. See, if Trey Young was surrounded by like defensive players like the Warriors... I think he would be seen much better defensively. But the fact that they're really not that great defensively as a whole, then you can kind of see where, like, his off-ball steal hunting, if he doesn't get the steal, like, he leaves his already vulnerable defense in a more vulnerable spot. That's true. Looking at that right there, Trey Young just hit a real nice floater. And uh, one other player that I want to bring up on the Hawks real quick that I think has been really underrated his entire career is Danilo Gallinari. He always seems to, like, be on really solid teams. I don't want to say, like, he always wins and everything because that's just, like, a really, I don't know, kind of dumb generalization to make. But he's always scoring near 20 points a game, and his teams are always, you know, top five. Or, like, 
outperforming expectations, I should say. This goes back to the Nuggets right after the Carmelo Anthony trade, for example, where like year one, they were third seed in the West. And it's like, what in the world? Gallinari was their leading scorer. <clears throat> then he got hurt a couple of times and such and such. But then with the Clippers and the Thunder, was good with them. And now with the Hawks, here they are in the second round. Another interesting thing. Sorry, I was thinking ahead of the second round. Sorry. Uh, so the second round is, the other second round matchup in the East is the Nets and the Bucks. That's an interesting matchup. That is a very interesting matchup. And as much as people were hoping that, oh, hey, I want the Heat to upset the Bucks and such and such, I think everybody wanted to see this matchup. Absolutely. And then Harden gets hurt in game one. And, and then, then Kyrie, Kyrie gets hurt, hurt in game yeah. one. Well, we're going to see if Kevin Durant's if Kevin Durant wants to be seen as that LeBron James type player, Kevin Durant needs to win this series. And I think he's perfectly capable of it with that roster. He's capable of it, but he needs uh the Bucks are really really good is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like Drew Holiday like in game 1, no, it was game 2. No, no, I'm, it's game 1 I'm thinking of. Giannis put up 33 points and then Chris Middleton shot 6 of 23 in a game where the Bucks only lost by like 8 points. So it's like, I don't know. I honestly, even with Kyrie, I feel like there's a chance, like the Bucks had a shot. But if Kyrie and Harden are going to be out, then I could see the Bucks taking it in six. They need to play defense. Like, without those two, they need to play defense. The problem is, like, they the can't. defensive players on your ro- Yeah, exactly. Like, they can't. Kevin Durant and Bruce Lee. Give Bruce Brown credit. He's a great defensive player. Although I don't know what in the world he was thinking in game three at the end there, man. Like, listen, I love that guy. But you've got Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, and Blake Griffin out on the floor. The lat, Like, you want any of those guys taking a shot before Bruce Brown at the end of the game. And Bruce Brown takes, like, a floater in the lane. Yeah, Bruce Brown knows that, too. And he, Oh, he does. But, like, I just want to have, like... The confidence of Bruce Brown, you know? Yeah. Like, what in the world? Well, that's how you get to the NBA. I mean, that's true. If you had that mindset, I, I liken this to the Ryan O'Reilly thing where he guaranteed a win over the Avalanche. You have to have that mindset to become a professional athlete, or else you're never going to make it. That's true. That's fun, Drew, true. Uh, fun Drew Holiday story. Uh, his wife, uh, I don't know what her maiden name was, but it was Lauren Holiday of the U.S. Women's National Team. So when they met, she walked up to him, was talking to him, and he goes, "Oh, you know I'm not Darrison, or excuse me, you know I'm not Darren Collison, right?" She goes, "No, you're much cuter." And now they're married. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. I feel <laughs> like that's a great story because I feel like he was on one of those UCLA teams that was really good. I mean, you got to think about the point guard lineage from UCLA. You oh, got Westbrook, you. Collison has been a pre- pretty solid bro, and then you also got Drew Holiday, and then also the other Holiday brothers that came through there, mm. but. I find that story hilarious. That's honestly amazing. I've never heard of that. I love it. Yeah, no, Drew Holiday hasn't been, like, amazing this series. But he's, like, they got him more for his, like, I don't want to say he's defensive player of the year quality. But, like, he's a fantastic defender in his own right. He can guard point guards. Exactly. And And if you can find a point guard that can guard other point guards, that's a big key asset to have in the NBA. Which Eric Bledsoe could only do that in the regular season for I don't know why. Like Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs, like it was three years in a row. He was just completely horrendous for Milwaukee. And honestly, Drew Holiday adds so much value by just not losing it in the playoffs, you know? Like, 
And he's also just so much better than Eric Bledsoe in terms of shooting and defensively now, anyway. Because with New Orleans this year, he was not good defensively. And now I think we get to the most intriguing second round series to me, which is the LA Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Ooh. And it's not because of talent, and it's not because of like they hate each other, the anim- animosity. But Joe Ingles and Paul George is a pretty good beef. And there it's is very a whole, underrated. There is a whole lot of talent on that roster too, or both rosters. But what makes this series fascinating to me, not to use a Colin Coward term, is the Jekyll and Hydeness of the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Like they either come out and they dominate people. Or they come out and they look flat and they get dominated. And I don't even know what like causes that because like is it that Ty Lue just doesn't have these guys right when they're coached? Like, well, I think Ty Lue is a horrible coach. Like, I first think of all, just I don't think he offers anything as a coach. To be honest with you, he's just a player's coach. That's like, yeah, okay, do whatever you want, and then he'll draw up some stuff. And then LeBron will tell him no, and they do what LeBron wants. Well, that was David Blatt. That was much more David Blatt. I think Ty Lue is in that same category. You don't stick around. You don't stick around Le- as LeBron's coach if you don't do what LeBron wants. Come on now, especially prime LeBron. Yeah. All right, enough about LeBron. LeBron's done. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, good. Ow. Anyway, but it explains, I think, why the Clippers are very, very, very Jekyll and Hyde, and I think that's where a head coach in the NBA has the most impact is mm-hmm. is your team ready to play look at the Sixers with Doc Rivers compared to you know whoever their coach was last year exactly that's my point no I'm just kidding I was gonna say I mean it's not that huge of a difference but like Brett Brown and Doc Rivers to be honest the big difference between the Sixers in the playoffs this year and last year is Ben Simmons being hurt in my opinion I don't know I also think they seem more ready to play the Sixers last year always seemed like they were down 6-0 before they could kind of get their feet wet and start playing. And I really want to see, like, what happens in the next round with the Sixers. Because, like, I think the addition of Seth Curry helped their team so, so much. Yeah, it gave them a shooter. Exactly. I mean, they had J.J. Redick for a while, but... And, like, Seth Curry is an underrated defensive player, too. Like, he's a bulldog on defense. I don't know how much you're going to be seeing it like here or not. And for obvious reasons, you need to have Ben Simmons on Trey Young, not Seth Curry. But, and, oh, I thought that was going to be a pass to Seth Curry right there. But regardless of that, like, having Seth as pretty much just like a really nice 3 and D player who can also dribble the ball a little bit, that's huge over a defensive slasher like Josh Richardson. Hot take. Seth Curry's better than Steph. Nah. I'm just kidding. At defense. <laughs> At defense, I mean, yeah. Steph but will even tell you that. I don't I say I don't think Steph I don't think Seth is ever gonna tell anyone that he's better than Steph. I mean, eh, he might try. He probably could. We're probably gonna see some commercials about that. Like the yeah. Cliff Paul thing. Ugh. I wouldn't be shocked to see Steph and Steph. You know what's messed up in like thirty years and like they're doing like Seth Curry commercials? They're gonna think that, you know, Seth Curry is Steph Curry's, you know, state farm equivalent brother. Oh jeez. That's that's kind of funny, but like as Seth Curry, that kind of that kind of suck. Oh lord, yeah. But anyway, going back to the uh, Clippers and Jazz series, um, a lot of like Paul George is a big swing factor there for sure. But how about Donovan Mitchell? He's been incredible the whole. Oh playoffs. yes. Like like, we say like a lot. We do. That's really bad. Sorry, folks. Yeah, I need to cut that out of my uh vocab. Me too. 
Good thing this is only episode three. People That's don't true. typically start listening to like 300, so. All right. By so. 300, I think I'll have it down. Trey Young just got a technical foul. <laughs> He's mad. And Seth missed a free throw. Yeah. Ball don't lie. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we don't have the vol- Did he just fist bump the ref? I think he fist bumped the ref. Yeah, he's still he's still chirping at him, yeah. so I think he did that like sarcastically if he did. <clears throat> this is his second technical foul in two games. Fantastic radio. We're watching to see if uh Trey Young fist bumped the ref. But I'm not looking at the TV, so it may have just like looked out of the corner of my eye, like he may have pointed, but it looked like the ref had his fist up too. Jeez, which wouldn't even shock me. Like, if he I, did, like, <clears throat> I, I gotta get to, I don't like the guy, but that was pretty good. I was gonna say, like, oh, yeah, good job, ref. <laughs> but, like, because last game, he told the ref to open his eyes, and the ref teed him up for that. Oh, yeah, imagine that. Yeah, which, I mean, honestly, I don't think that's technical worthy. Eh. <clears throat> eh. I don't know. Like, if D- he's ex- depends on the ref. If he's excess, if the player's excessively doing it, then maybe. But if a ref makes a bad call, and player's like, come on, man, open your eyes. I don't know. I don't think that's worth the tech. If that's his first time complaining, then no, probably not. But I can't imagine that would have been the first time that he complained all game. It depends on if the ref actually missed a call or not. That's the one thing about the NBA that kind of drives me a little crazy is sometimes the game gets slowed way down by players complaining. And that bothers me. Like, I get that you want to make your point, but the NBA refs are pretty solid. They don't make every call. They don't make the right call every time. But it's not as bad as it could be. They make a lot of really good calls. Oh yeah, like it's so dang hard to be a, like, it's so dang hard to be a referee, man. I, eesh, especially in some of these sports. Yeah, enough talk about the people that nobody cares about. Let's That's talk true. about the Detroit Pistons. Oh yeah, they were really bad this year, but they're really bad in a good way. Sadiq Bay was a bad man for sure. Like Sadiq Bay is the steal of that draft. In four years, they're gonna talk about Sadiq Bay going at 19 he might not be the player that donovan mitchell is but they're going to talk about him like where donovan mitchell was drafted the way they talk about him and they traded luke Kennard for him and then the clippers paid luke Kennard 64 million dollars which that contract hasn't even kicked in yet yeah that's rough that contract kicks in next year although Kennard is playing in the playoffs now he hardly played at all against the mavericks for i don't know why but he's playing against the jazz now so i think it's a little better matchup which, I mean, eh, yeah. But at the same time, if you're paying a guy $64 million, come on. Well, they're not paying him that yet. <laughs> yeah, but they're Next year, we can have that argument. That's true. But, oh, man, you trade a first-round pick that becomes one of the steals of the draft for... I don't I, even know why Luke Kennard was who they wanted, either. Like, I get it, a shooter, but did he really warrant $64 million? I think uh, they kind of projected him out, because on the Pistons, he looked like he was going to mm. be... He looked you know, good on the Pistons. Yeah, for sure. but he's the only good player on the Pistons, like around that time. And like, but why are you trading a first round pick for him as a title contender? Is my thing. If you're going to trade a first round pick for somebody as a title contender, it better be someone you know can help you win. And I think they thought that. I mean, as an as an extra shooter, yeah. I get it. But at the same time, like, woof. But as a Pistons fan, I'm not complaining. Uh, not one bit. I love Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes. We'll see where he's. We'll see where he goes. Isaiah we'll Stewart. I think if Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart become regulars, and you know, Killian Hayes becomes a bust, it's not that big a deal because two out of three. I mean, you'd like to see the seventh pick become, you know, that boom player. But... Especially because that seventh overall pick was the highest Pistons draft pick since Darko Milicic. Even yeah. after a decade of futility, the seventh overall pick is the 
highest. Well, the good news is that's going to change this year. Literally sixth is the lowest they can go. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully, they win the lottery and they get Cade Cunningham, and then suddenly Killian Hayes isn't that big of a deal as a bust because you got your point guard. And off the top of your head, do you know when the draft lottery is? I thought it was June 22nd, but I might be wrong. Yeah, that's right. It's June 22nd. Dope. Awesome. Ugh. So, yeah, hopefully the Pistons end up with just a top three pick, even if it's not number one, just top three. Okay, say they get the second pick. Who do you think they take? Who do I think or who do I want? Who do you want? Who do I want? Jalen Suggs. Yeah, I like Jalen Suggs, too. I like him a lot. He's the only reason why I didn't absolutely hate the Gonzaga team this year because I think he is that type of player that is a game changer. I was so mad to see him hit that game winner. You know the one. Y'all yeah, know against the one. UCLA. Everyone knows that was one. nasty. Oh, yeah. Like, I was, I did not want them to win. <laughs> yeah, but they got exposed in the championship game. That's true. But I didn't want to see them get exposed in the championship game. I didn't want to see them in the championship game at all. But They kind of got exposed in the Final Four game, too. Which is why I wanted to see them lose. Which also, in fairness, UCLA, they were not your typical 11 seed. At all. They were playing much better coming into the tournament. And, I mean, it showed in the tournament. They were, sure. just, they were just that bad early in the year when all their players were hurt. And then you get healthy. Get but hot. I think if the Pistons do get the second pick and Cade Cunningham's not there... They're probably going to take Evan Mobley. The Pistons like their big man, and I don't dislike this pick. I love Evan Mobley. I watched him play at USC, and I think he's got a really high ceiling, but he also has a really low floor, so you got to develop him. Now, my question about him is how good is his shot right now, like his outside game? It's not where you'd want it to be, take him at number two, but it's something that he's shown that he can do, so I think it'll get better as time goes on. All right, all right. Because, like, right now it's just Sadiq Bey is the only, like, solid piece that's, like, I don't want to say irreplaceable, but you're not replacing him for any reason next year at all. No, absolutely not. And, like, it sucks that Seku Demboya just kind of stayed stagnant this year. He just kind of treaded water, didn't really do much. I think he'll get better. I think it's another one of those, this might not be a sophomore year, but, like, sophomore slump type things where Mm -hmm. you break out for your first year, then they get film on you. And I think it's the same thing that we were talking about with Tyler Hero. You watch the film of what they did to you, and then you can kind of fix your game a little bit. Although, granted, signing Jeremy Grant and then having Sadiq Bay break out was... Didn't help his case. Exactly. And then Jeremy Grant is just really good. Do you think he's a keeper? Oh, for a second I thought Clint Capella was injured because it looked like he was holding his knee, but he's up and he's good. So, I think... Eh... It depends on what kind of trade offers they get. If they like, if they were to trade him, like that's if, a player that you want on your roster. Absolutely. But if he's the top scorer on your team, you're not gonna win a ton of games or win a ton of playoff series. You're not a championship caliber team. If he's your third option on a championship caliber team, incredible. Ooh, doggy. Like even the like. Imagine a straight up trade him for Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, obviously that's horrible for the Pistons. Horrendous mm-hmm. for the Pistons. Look what that would do for the Mavericks, though. We that were talking would, about a wingman that, you know, could put Memphis over the top. Oh, that's something for Memphis. Could be right Jeremy there. Grant. Oh, man. Like, Jeremy Grant and Jaron Jackson on defense would be ridiculous because they can defend anything. And, like, that's 20 point per game waiting to happen. So, holy crap, that could work. Well, that's hoops talk. Uh, anything you want to leave the folks with there, uh, Mr. McClory? Well, uh, about basketball? Go Suns is what I got in my mind because Devin Booker, Grand Rapids native. Granville native in like very very close particular so 
go him, go Devin Booker, go Chris Paul. I really want those guys to succeed for sure. And I would agree. Yeah, other than that, I ain't got nothing in mind. Cool. Alrighty, so we went over the basketball playoffs. Now we're going to get into something that I think we both find a little more interesting. And typically to me, I think the NHL playoffs are the best playoffs of the four major North American sports. Just because there's always a sense of more anything can happen in the NHL than there is any other sport to me. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's NHL playoffs and NFL playoffs for me. Like, I'm not going to get into the comparison because there's so many different things, but... Yeah, can you I imagine would, a seven-game football series? Ugh, can you imagine how the players would feel about that? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, not too great, huh? At all. It would be a Super Bowl series with, like, seven regular season games, ugh, if that. Goodness. Yeah, that'd be – that's asking for injuries, too. But And to my point, getting into the anything can happen, we're going to get in the North Division where anything literally happened twice. Yep. But before the playoffs, it was a seven-team series – or se- yeah, seven-team division. I don't know why I said series. Because it's a seven-game playoff series, but yeah. anyway. And that's too many sevens. And then they had eight teams played, or seven teams played against each other eight mm-hmm. times. Yeah, so, throw yeah. one throw one more seven in, and the coins are just going to car- start falling out of my mouth like a casino. There we go. Perfect. So the seven teams, obviously all the Canadians te- Canadian teams, you got Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Vancouver, and Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't believe I rattled those all off at the top of my head. Yeah, good work. I'm proud of you. Yeah, but so that division, each team played each other. It was a, uh, it was an off amount because... Because of Vancouver's key yeah. COVID situation that I think uh, Calgary had a problem with it earlier in the year too. So, And they this division actually played two, day, or two days into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like Vancouver was still Only playing. Vancouver and Calgary. Yeah. But, hey, they got their games in. Um, This division, I believe, was the weakest division in all of hockey all year long. But I think that also made it the most fun division to watch. Mm -hmm. The no-D-League, right? Not not many teams are playing that much defense. Except for two. And we can compare where those two are compared to the other five. Um, Mm -hmm. So the four teams that made it were Montreal, and they played Toronto, and then Edmonton, and they played Winnipeg. Indeed. And uh, let's start with Edmonton versus Winnipeg first, because that was like, I don't know if I want to say the less notable of the two series, because they were both pretty notable for how they ended. But that was notable for different reasons. Yeah. But Edmonton came in with the Hart Trophy winner, Connor McDavid, who put up over 100 points in 56 games. He got there in his 53rd game. Absolutely ridiculous season. Insane. And like the run that he went on, he was scoring like three points a game for like. 12 games. And it wasn't like he was getting secondary assists. No, he was setting up. And he was, like, scoring the goals, and he was, like, oh, yeah. getting his own goals. Like, he wasn't getting set up. He was making moves. and Connor McDavid's nasty. But the only problem is Connor McDavid's game doesn't translate well to the NHL playoffs, where the playoffs are going. Exactly. And, like, you can't just be deking around everybody in the playoffs. Like, it'll work here and there, but it's not going to work to win you a series. The refs swallow the whistle a bit, so teams get more physical with him. Like... Mm-hmm. Winnipeg would hit him after the whistle over, or not after the whistle, but after he released the puck over and over and over again. And I think it just wore him down. Oh, by the way, Winnipeg won this series 4-0, if we didn't mention. Yeah, uh, 
Edmonton didn't win a single game. You also had Leon Dreisaitl, who was last year's Hart Trophy winner. Like, Edmonton can score in bunches, but they didn't win a single game. They got shut out in the first, or was it a shutout in the first game? No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. No, it was second game. Second game was a shutout. First game was 4-1, two empty nets. No, it was a shutout in the first game. No, second game was a shutout. Second game was a sh- first game. I'm it was two mute one. your microphone. It was the first game. Uh, look it up. Look me. it up. Look it up. Look it up. You were completely messing with me because that was the second game that was a shutout. The second game was Paul Stasny getting an overtime winner, and that was one nothing. This is the greatest radio segment in the world right now. Like we're arguing about <laughs> <laughs> about nothing that really matters in particular. Just our See. egos. Exactly, and it's only showing me game two, three, and four on Google. Come on. I have to actually go in. Well, was game two a shutout? Game two was one nothing a shutout in overtime. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I was gonna say, and then game three was also overtime. Also, was game four. Yeah, the like game four was triple overtime. mm -hmm. And then Kyle Connors, baby. Yeah, so game one was yeah. Winnipeg was up two one. Then Edmonton or Winnipeg was up two one. Then they got two empty netters and one four one. So this was a close series throughout. Like yeah, it was a sweep, but that wasn't some dominant sweep. It was three overtime games. Oh, absolutely not two empty netters it's just winnipeg deeper team but winnipeg was one of the two teams like we had talked about in private and i've talked about on another episode where winnipeg lost seven in a row coming into the playoffs but they were trying to find this defensive balance i think paul maurice was smart in this way where he realized that hey we're gonna have to play defense to get out of this division because there's no way we're outscoring edmonton Mm mm-hmm so they're one of the two teams that played defense throughout the year. Although, granted, getting Nikolai Ehlers back, that was pretty huge, too. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. <clears throat> I believe he got an overtime winner. I believe Game 3 was his overtime winner. Can't quote me on that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, particularly know. But Kyle Connors, I know he scored the Game 4 overtime winner, and all he does is get 30 goals a year. I really like him. I also wish, a Michigan native. Yeah, I wish he'd get out of Winnipeg because I don't think Winnipeg's necessarily going to be that good next year. Uh, that Dubois for line A trade. Yeesh. It's not working out for either team. I mean, Roslovic. I was going to say, best. when Jack Roslovic is the best piece out of, like, everything yeah. that happened. Which is, like, ugh. W, like, I like Roslovic, don't get me wrong, but why is he performing better than Patrick Line? Yeah, Patrick Line should be an impact player for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Pierre-Luc Dubois should have been a huge piece for a playoff team in Winnipeg, and he just wasn't. No, and I think that's where Winnipeg's downfall was. Coming into the year, I thought Winnipeg had a really good chance at possibly making it out as the Canadian division winner in the Final Four, but oh yeah, injuries and not playing particularly well. And I think the whole Line A thing coming into the season was a distraction too. Oh yeah, and then I don't really think like acquiring Pierre-Luc Dubois, who he still has the same questions that Line A has, like, and that didn't work for Columbus either, which we'll get to them further down the list, but... I don't think it really solved much for either team. Like, yeah, different fit, but there's still questions. Like, is either of these guys going to be here long term? Like, these, they both just kind of left their former situation in a not so nice way. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Kind of a lose lose deal outside of the Roslovic part. But in the other series, you have a player that got poached like an egg from the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm talking about Josh Anderson and the Montreal Canadiens. They played Toronto. And they beat Toronto in a seven-game series. They're also the other team that played defense. Oh, and Toronto. You know, and Toronto's defense wasn't even that bad either this series. Like, they didn't play that much defense in the regular season. They didn't need to. But in the postseason, I didn't think their defense was that bad. 
I just think it was missed timely penalties. Mitch Marner had a ridiculous amount of puck over glass penalties. The the one that led to a five-on-three in, I don't remember what game it was, but he was already on the penalty kill, and then he went to clear it and went over the glass, and it was a five-on-three, then Montreal scored. No, that was game six, that made it two-nothing. And then, of course, you know, Kak and Yemi got the game six overtime winner, which... Without that, who knows what happens there. See, but that penalty is so weird because a lot of that penalty is bad luck where, like, the puck just rolls on him. And the puck happened to roll on him five times where if he's trying to shoot towards the middle of the ice and that happens, it's just going to go down the ice where he's trying to hit the boards and it rolls on him, you know, even a quarter of an inch. That puck's going into, like, the 35th row in the upper deck. Yep. And then, like, in game five, Galchenyuk had a behind the – or he just backpassed – of the blue line to nobody, and that led to a 2-on-0 in overtime. Yeah, they had a lot of really inopportune mistakes that led them to lose the series. And then, like, in Game 7, they just weren't ready to play. Like, if no. you watch that Game 7, in game they looked defeated in the second period. And losing like, Game 6 crushed them. Losing Game 5, I didn't think. Like, losing Game 5 on your home ice like that, to lose it on a 2-on-0 like the way they did, when they could have beaten Montreal 4-1. to one. Yeah. I think that was ugly, too, because they had to come from behind in Game 6 as well. So I think that Game 5 loss is honestly worse. And, you know, Carey Price, too. My yeah. God, Carey Price. My point is they spent so much energy coming back in Game 6 to lose that game. That's kind of... Okay, yeah. That's, that's like a slap in the face, and it's really depleting. In the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're getting crushed by the media in Toronto, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. None of their core players are over 26 years old. And people are saying, like, trade Marner, trade Matthews. Like, okay, I get the rationale because of how much Marner's getting paid. But if you do that... Yeah, trade Marner to a team that is one piece away. Even and, trade him to a rebuilder and see what happens. Yeah, you're going to give that team an instant boost. Mitch Marner is a fantastic player. Mitch Marner might be the best passer in the NHL. Mitch Marner is incredible. Austin Matthews is incredible. Him getting crushed for being at the UFC fight with Justin Bieber, I think, is stupid. Oh, gee, that's happening too. Yeah, like imagine, imagine if you are a hockey player and like you went and like you guys lost in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, it happens. Oh well, and you went out to a UFC fight with me and you're getting crushed for it. Like that's dumb. Like the fans, the media in Toronto, they need to back off. Like these are human beings. And I, they're I, not caged animals. I fully believe that like the Toronto media and how just pushy they get, like that doesn't help any of their players. Oh like, yeah. Of course it's on management too. Like if management would be like I don't know what the main problem is in Toronto for sure. Because like it's not just the media that is the reason they haven't won a playoff series in seventeen years. But the media certainly isn't helping at all. I think it was just all. bad luck this year. This year, er, against Boston, it was bad luck. The Game 7s against Boston were all bad luck, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Or outside of, the, outside of the year, they blew a 3-1 lead. That, that was bad. But this year, I don't know, losing against Montreal the way they did was tough. That was really tough. It is, but I say if they would have had, like, those... They had a certain amount of string of miscues where, like, if one of those miscues doesn't happen, for instance, like... Say the Mitch Marner puck over glass penalty clips the top of the, the boards and goes out of play, so it's not a penalty. They probably win that game. Mm-hmm. It's just back to back to back to back miscues that all just happen to like play into Montreal's favor. And like 
it it's worth noting that Montreal did not have the miscues that Toronto had. Yeah. So that's another big thing there as well. Like obviously they're not as talented as Toronto. But they also have like the playoff experience on the roster too. Like we're watching Corey Perry shoving around with Ryan Reeves right now. That's a lot of playoff experience right there, just Corey Perry alone. Like, imagine if Toronto had him on their roster instead of Joe Thornton. How much of a difference would that have made? Oh, absolutely. That's where I think Toronto needs to get better, is they need, instead of having their fourth liners be old veteran superstars, they need, like, a grinder that can get in there and actually grind, like a Matt Martin that's playing for the New York Islanders that they had on their roster. Even if they had Corey Perry, like, I know Corey Perry isn't your traditional grinder, but they call him the worm, and they call him the worm for a reason, because he can just... Corey Perry was a grinder that could score 30 goals and get 100 points a year. Got 50 goals one year. Yeah, Corey Perry is just, he's he was Brad Marchand before Brad Marchand. Oh, yeah. Big and elbow. he's on the West Coast, too, So that was, or he was on the West Coast for most of his career with the mm. Ducks, and that's why I think a lot of people don't realize that. But this leads me to my point where we were talking before and how I have animosity, and I think how the North Division was bad for the NHL this year. You have Winnipeg. In Montreal in the finals for the North Division. And both of those teams aren't exactly exciting teams. I mean, Montreal's young and has some real nice, exciting players. They've also got maybe the best goaltender in the NHL. We can have that debate about who That is definitely a debate that I would have with you, but because I don't believe that he is. Carey, I think Connor Hollebuck was a better goalie coming into that series. I think Carey Price outplayed him. I mean, Carey Price... like. We could, we By the way, Montreal won 4 0. But, like, basically, Carey Price has been one of the best players in the playoffs so far. Oh, absolutely. If they go further, if Montreal goes further, they have, Carey Price has to stand on his head. Mm. But this is my point the Montreal Canadiens would not have made the playoffs in any other division. Maybe the West. No, Maybe the I, West. not even the West. I think in the regular season, they don't beat Minnesota, they don't beat Vegas, they don't beat Colorado enough times to get in. I mean, you've got St. Louis. Well, let's say they replace, like, who would they replace? I mean, say, like, it was just a nine-team division. You've got the three California teams, and you've got Arizona to beat up on. So, that's four teams. Arizona wasn't bad in the beginning of the year. That's true, but then they, you know, pulled an Arizona. Arizona, the reason why the Blues, I think, didn't necessarily get as many points as they should have is the Blues coming off of covid They played Arizona in, like, like six straight games. Yeah, and Arizona killed them in that series so arizona wasn't a pushover i think i don't think they make the playoffs in any other division in a normal season they definitely don't make the playoffs in the atlantic division the atlantic division no way there's no way they would have made the playoffs. there's no chance no oh that atlantic is and next year the atlantic is gonna be so good oh it's and yeah and even the bad teams like the ottawa senators and the detroit red wings aren't gonna be that bad and, like, speaking of the Ottawa Senators, toward the end of the year, they made a whole lot of strides as well. They did, like, yeah. They're up to the, they're the 10th overall pick. Yeah. They had the, like, 10th best lottery odds. At like, the beginning of the season, we were talking about how many games you have against Ottawa left. Like, that's a statistic that matters because that's two points guaranteed. Yep. And, I mean, Edmonton, that was a big thing with Edmonton. They won all nine of their games mm-hmm. against Ottawa. And Edmonton fans were even like, that wasn't an easy nine games to win, even before they brought in, you know, all their young players and started doing well. All right, back to the playoffs, though. But my point is you have the Montreal Canadiens who would not, in my opinion, you may think differently. I don't think they make the playoffs in any other division. I don't think they make the playoffs in any other scenario. And now they're four wins away against a, well, 
I don't think they're going to get four wins against Vegas, but we'll get to that later. If they do get four wins against Vegas, then I think that narrative changes just a bit because then it does. Like, yeah, because then because Vegas like, oh. is good. Yeah, exactly. Because you can argue that maybe Edmonton doesn't make it, and they would be central, correct? In a normal year, Edmonton's the Pacific. They're Pacific, and in wow. the Pacific, yeah, no Pacific. You've got the three California teams to beat up on. Yeah, the Pacific Edmonton makes it, but I'd say maybe two teams. Winnipeg doesn't make it in the Central. There's they not a chance. In the Central. Winnipeg's normally in the Central. Yeah, I'm saying they wouldn't have made it in the Central if it was a normal year. Winnipeg wouldn't have made it. Eh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to speculate there. I'll speculate for you, though. I was going to say, like, I didn't watch, of all the Canadian teams this year, Winnipeg was the team I watched the least. I was constantly on the Western, or both the Alberta teams, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. Yeah, well, they, they weren't exactly the most fun to watch. Well, but Vancouver was a lot of fun to watch when the other team was playing them. But anyway. Yeah. But my point is, what was my point? Let me get back to my point. Point, 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 Braden point. No. But Montreal versus Winnipeg in that North Division. We were expecting Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews. Yep. Like that would have been huge for the league. Especially oh, going into the new ESPN. Can you imagine the marketing? Matthews oh. versus McDavid, Marner versus Dryside. It would have been incredible. And then Edmonton, I don't like. I don't know what the whole deal with Edmonton. They just didn't have like depth, quite frankly. Depth it's the, the same line. thing every year for them. Which I mean, when you're spending twenty-eight million dollars on three players, five million of that is James Neal. Then, yeah. But I will give you one stat. This is the one stat I will leave you with about the North Division before we move on. Carey Price is the first player making over ten million dollars to ever win a playoff series. Exactly. Or at least, like, in this this year, he was the only one. Well, no, like, this is ever. Sergei Fedorov was making over $10 million. Okay, my bad, salary cap era. Sal- yeah, cap era. Because, obviously, there's probably plenty of Red Wings making a ton of money, you know, when they were crushing <laughs> people. And the Rangers, like, in 94, too. Yeah, but in the cap era, no one making over $10 million has ever won a playoff series. And then you've got Carey Price, who, like I said, has borderline been the best player in this playoff so far. I'd agree with that. Like, and I don't even know who would like overtake that. To be honest, maybe like Mark Stone, Jonathan Marchessault. Marchessault's been fantastic too. If what a hit! Mark Andre Fleury comes out and like say Montreal dominates for six games and Fleury mm-hmm. steals three of them, then I think you can make that argument. Yeah, and Mark Andre Fleury's been fantastic too. Which but moving on to his division takes us to the West. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into the, we'll get yeah, into Montreal a Vegas later. Fleury throwing the blocker. Oh yeah. It's amazing. These teams haven't played each other, and they already, already hate each other. Uh, the same thing happened with Tampa and the Islanders, too, yeah. which we'll get to that when we get to it. But so in the West, we had Vegas-Minnesota. Let's start there because— That was a fun series. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Because we had a clunker, and then we had an incredible one, and we're going to start with the incredible one just because Minnesota was down 3-1 and forced to Game 7. I mean, they looked very tired in that Game 7. Which, I mean, it takes— a whole lot to battle back down. It was the same thing that Vancouver did last year. The exact same scenario, right? Yep. Like, you know, Thatcher Demko standing on his head. Cam Talbot standing on his head. Young talent playing well each time. Minnesota's going to be a fun team going forward, but we finally got the series that everyone's been looking forward to because the Colorado Avalanche beat the St. Louis Blues. And they beat them bad, too. Oh, they crushed them. Like, they were skating circles around the Blues. I don't know if it was just that the, like, I don't want to say that the Blues were, like, tired or anything because I don't want to, like, be that person. But they, they Colorado didn't, just smoked them. Yeah. 
they weren't as good. Plus, losing was Justin Falk to the Nazem Kadri hit. Mm-hmm. That also hurt them because I think Falk without Petrangelo is definitely their best player. Yeah, Falk was their Petrangelo replacement, quote-unquote, which, you know, not that you can replace Petrangelo. No, you can't, yeah. And then uh, after that seven-game series, Vegas and Minnesota, that was just, like, Minnesota showed that they can, you know, at least battle in the playoffs. Like, losing to Vegas in seven games ain't nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, we were talking on the now-defunct Aaron show on WCKS The Whale about how we didn't really know where the Minnesota Wild were going with their organization. We thought they were kind of, like, trapped in this, like, middle area where they're not good enough to make it past the first round of the playoffs, but they're not bad enough to get a really good lottery pick. Well, guess what changes that? A fifth-round stud. Yeah, I was going to say, they are definitely good enough to get past the first round of the playoffs because arguably in any other division, they may win. Who knows? Oh, Lord, yeah. And then, like, you've got Marco Rossi coming up, and now... Kyro Kaprizov being a potential superstar, that means maybe players are going to actually want to go to Minnesota now. Like, you've got Hockey State, too. Minnesota's the, the Hockey State. The State of Hockey, yeah. And that's how they got Zach Parise and... Ryan Suter. Yeah. And then, like... They're coming off the books, too, eventually. That's true. And, and there's been rumors that Suter, or not Suter, that Parise might get bought out, which I wouldn't agree with. Tough. Yeah, that's going to be a tough buyout. Yeah. Just because you're going to have to eat a lot of cap like, for extra years. They healthy scratched him the first three games of the series against Vegas. Oh, he was the difference in the last four well, for the Wild. Yeah, he was the dip. Like, and in game seven, he had a nice goal. Like, you know, we were watching that one together. He had a just between the legs tip that Flurry had no shot at. Oh, and it yeah. And was just like, that's a veteran play that you don't really see many people make. So I mean, it's like, he probably made, he probably played like the, 13 million a year player that he's being paid to be 13 million dollars that's a year. that's a bit of an exaggeration 13 but year contract yeah which i mean the wild aren't that strapped for cap either i mean you've got to pay caprice off he's an rfa but still i like where they're going but let's get to the yeah let's get to what was supposed to be the i mean i would say it was like for three games, it was the most exciting playoff series of the playoffs so far honestly even like game five was a lot of fun too these are the two best teams in the league. They played on the last day of the season for the President's Trophy. And Colorado got it. And Colorado got it. Which, fun fact, that's why I went against Colorado in my picks. And honestly, that's why I picked for Colorado, because the last time they won the President's Trophy, 2001, they won the Cup. And see, my thing was, is the last President's Trophy winners, they haven't won the Cup. Exactly. Like, which, you know, is true. And I think, to me, it all depends on when are you playing your best hockey. And the Avs very clearly blew their load in Game 1. Yes. Which, I mean, is both a combination of Vegas was clearly dead tired. Like, you watch that game, and there's no convincing me that Vegas wasn't completely gassed. And that's why Robin Leonard was playing and not Flurry, Because Flurry was probably that tired, too. Yeah, they, they that wasn't Robin Leonard's fault. You cannot put that on him. Like, he had two bad goals, and he gave up seven. Two of those goals were bad ones. Yeah, he was left out to dry. Oh, yeah. And, like, even one of those bad goals where McKinnon went five-hole on him, I'm like, even then, that's like McKinnon's wide open in the slot. I was going to say, it's also Nathan McKinnon shooting the puck, so usually when you get a sniper shooting against you, I, I find it hard to call it a bad goal because... Like the first goal where Rantanen just kind of threw a backhand at the top. Yeah, of that, that, was, that was... You got to have that one in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, that and that might have done something for the abs, but... Vegas outplayed Colorado every other game of that series. Colorado won game two in overtime, yeah, but Vegas outplayed them there. Philip Grubauer held them in game two. Philip Grubauer impressed me. He held them in game three, too. Yeah, he impressed me. I didn't think he was that good. 
he until didn't have this a series. good game six. He did not have a good game six, but like I said this last year. But he held them in for five games. I mean, that's hard to blame him. Exactly. But if they had him instead of, you know, Michael Bloody Hutchinson, they beat the Dallas Stars last year. You can there's no convincing me that a healthy Grubauer loses to the Dallas Stars. You can have the conversation about Vegas. That's whatever. But Yeah, I'd agree with that. Especially because to an extent, though, because... Michael Hutchinson was giving up so many goals. Here, Here's my counter-argument to that, that we go back and forth on this all the time, mm-hmm. is that there was only, in games that they lost, there were only like three goals that were scored by the Colorado Avalanche that were not either assisted by or scored by either McKinnon, McCarr, Rantanen, Landeskog. And Landeskog, yeah. Granted, Kadri had a great playoff series last year. A but lot, a lot of his goals were always set up by McKinnon and Landeskog. So it's still technically he might not be one of their top line players, but it's still technically a top line goal because. Mm. Which, in fairness, Nazem Kadri too. Now that you say that, was probably the biggest reason I think why Colorado lost. Which having Nazem Kadri in game in game five especially, like that overtime because. I want to talk about Game 5, because Colorado choked Game 5. Colorado full-blown choked Game 5. They were, oh, score for the Vegas Golden Knights, Che Theodore. Yeah, here comes an avalanche. Indeed. (laughs) So, going back to that Game 5, Colorado goes up 2-0, and it's like that in the third. And then a turnover at the blue line leads to a 2-on-1 chance. Vegas scores. Then they're in the offensive zone. Landeskog throws a weird pass. JT Comfort turns around, blows a tire trying to pick it up. Three on two. Vegas scores and ties the game. Then in overtime, JT Comfort, again, just barely misses the net 10 seconds in. Mark Stone gets a breakaway with less than a minute. Less than a minute in overtime. Scores. All just, like, careless plays and just missed opportunities. Like, Colorado absolutely should have had game five. I Vegas think- played better in the Fortress, for sure. They played better in game two in the Pepsi Center, but... Colorado should have had Game Five. It's also nice to see teams have their home ice advantage because it definitely makes a difference. Oh, like you could see it, Colorado and Vegas, one hundred percent. Like Vegas, and they lost in the Fortress to Minnesota, which was really weird to see. But like they were dominating the games, it's just the goals weren't going in the net, or you know, yeah, Cantal that stood on his head and shut him out. Like, Minnesota had some in Game Five. Like Zach Parise specifically had a goal where he just kind of threw it off Mark Andre Fleury's back, and I'm like, how in the world did Fleury? does not have control there but eh. it went in the net but that's also the same type of goal that turned around the series for vegas mm-hmm. in game three when it was it was ah man i'm march i think that yeah was, it was march, no, march so yeah. the hat trick game four but march so scored yeah but he scored that goal off of a grubauer's back like. yeah and that i think that was a turning point in the series that woke vegas up and from there on, it was just snowballed out of control for the Avalanche. And then you had Max Pacioretty's game winner, like which that was a perfect tip too. Like in Game Three, Pacioretty had a tip on a shot from the point, and it's like Grubauer had no shot at that. Uh, fun fact to end this series on: the last three years, the President's Trophy winners being the Colorado Avalanche this year, the Boston Bruins last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning the year before. All three of those teams lost four games in a row in the playoffs. Ooh. Ha, I love it. I don't think that has anything to do with the President's Trophy. I just think it has has to do with Exhaustion bad circumstances, too. yeah. Exhaustion, too. Like, like, Boston lost their four games in a row. The Islanders, who were probably a better team last year. Oh, yeah, and the and Islanders. And then Tampa got swept by Columbus. And which, that was... 
the weirdest series that, ever. I'm not even going to try and analyze that series because that, as much fun as that series was to watch, it it really was. Like that was one of the first play the my first playoffs of the 2019 playoffs, and that Columbus versus Tampa series was like my first experience of playoff hockey, and I'm like. I also hate Columbus teams because U of M, Ohio State, such and such. So I didn't want Columbus to win. But And now we get into what the matchup is that we are clearly watching while we're doing this is Vegas-Montreal. That's the one semifinal, but let's talk about how we got to the other semifinal. Let's go with the Central right now. Central. Central division. The Central um, had, like, the top three teams in the Central. Mwah. Lovely to watch all three of those teams. And then the fourth, the fourth seed, which Nashville eventually. Nashville was weird because they didn't play very good at the beginning of the season. And like I think they, they turned just, it on at the end. They though. definitely deserved that spot more than you know Dallas, Chicago, or Columbus did. Absolutely. You know the way they turned it after starting so bad, everyone's like, "Oh, are they going to trade Matias Ekholm? They're going to start a rebuild and da 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 da." Hey, they ended up making the playoffs. You know what probably turned their season around? Hmm. Is when they hot mike the referee. Oh, geez. that was <laughs> It's probably good karma. Hey, that's true. That's very true. Well, let's start with the the one versus four, which is Carolina versus Nashville. Which, that was a really fun series to watch. That was a lot of close hockey. It was a lot better than I thought it would be. I thought Carolina would crush them in, like, five games with three of them being blowouts. But, I mean, at home, like, Carolina kind of controlled the first two games at home. Like, Nashville was still in it. And then game three, going back to Bridgestone. I think it's a Bridgestone Center. Yeah, it's a Bridgestone Arena or whatever it's called. Nashville. And that dude's hitting a sledgehammer on a car with the Hurricanes logo on it. I think that's the dumbest thing ever, but it gets them fired up. That's like your textbook example of home ice advantage. Like, Nashville clearly had home ice advantage. That's one of the weirdest things in sports. Like, that's like in high school when you have, you know, Pride Week going into homecoming and you have that hex day where you wear the other team's colors. That's what that is, except as adults, and I think that's kind of like, I don't know. I think it just shows that like Nashville is not necessarily a hockey town, like, per se, but they're becoming a they're becoming a way better hockey culture. Oh yeah, I mean, and they love their winning teams. So yeah, there you go. Like, that, and I think the team I think that it's went a phenomenal to the final place. when they went to the final, that crowd was absolutely unreal. Oh yeah, and it's the same now. Like when they won in overtime. Like, they won games three and four in overtime at home. Crowd went nuts both times. And I think, honestly, the only reason why they didn't win game six, which is the deciding factor, the deciding game, is I don't think Saro saw that shot until, like, it was by him. Well, it, means it was a tip. Like, yeah, that too, yep. the point, and Ajo tipped it, which, what are you going to do? And it was so early into overtime, too. Like, you don't ever expect a goal that early into overtime. You yeah, now that you say that, like, it's just kind of weird. Like, the ones that always come, like... After halfway through the period, always feel like you're expecting them ready to come. I feel like when a team wins that you're not expecting to win, they always win in the first 10. And, like, this go. Oh, I'm going to, like, come back to this point later when we talk about Pittsburgh and New York. But, anyway, let's keep going with uh, anything else you want to add about this series other than four overtime games. That's incredible. Like, like four straight overtime games, too. That shows you the teams are pretty even. Oh, yeah. And, like, Carolina, or both teams have a really just stacked defensive core. Both these teams draft defense so well. Oh, yeah. And they pick up free agents on defense. And just their system is really defense heavy. Now we got the Florida series, the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you know, those I, was really, I was really excited for this series. And then Kucherov just made Tampa such a better team. 
the first two games, I didn't think they were going to be able to play past four because I thought someone would literally die on the ice. Lord, yeah. With as much as like with as much energy as they were putting into after the whistle stuff. Both teams, too. And I, I think I think both coaches, Joe Quenville, obviously being a cup winner, and you know, you know John Cooper, John Cooper, also a cup went, yeah, they were probably like, hey guys, uh, you realize as much as you hate these dudes, uh, we still got about twelve wins after this. We want to get where we want to go. <laughs> So uh, let's uh, take a breather here. Exactly. And then, like, game three being a 6-5 to five overtime game where Florida scored all five. Or did Flo- No, yeah, Tampa scored all five goals in one period. Yeah. Which was just ridiculous. And then Florida goes and wins it in overtime. And the crazy thing about this, too, is if you look at Florida starting goalies, the first team ever to start two, or excuse me, three, three goalies. goalies two different times. Yeah, and, like, Man, they've got a decision because, like, Spencer Knight looked good in his the two games he played. He's got to be on the roster he next year. He played fantastic. The problem is, do not Carter Hart that man because Carter Hart, like, I'm not even going to speculate with Carter Hart and the Flyers, but, like, if you put too much on a young goaltender's plate, bad things might happen, and I'm almost kind of worried about that with Spencer Knight. Like, if Bobrovsky's not good and they have to get rid of Drieger in the expansion draft, for example. Yeah, you're not moving. You're not moving Bobrovsky. Like unless if you're giving up like four first round picks to a team that has cap room, mm. no one's taking him. The only way I can think up is him moving or waving his no movement clause, and they protect Drieger. That's the only way I can just like if it's Bobrovsky and Knight, then I'm really nervous for that team because Bobo did not look that great. Like yeah. he looked good. I don't think Seattle takes Bobrovsky in the That's expansion. Draft. That's why I'm saying I think they they're should putting ask him together. To wave. They're putting together a super analytics-heavy front office, which... Analytics does not support overpaying goalies. No. And like, when, I don't But like that's why I think hockey. that Florida's going to ask him to move his no-movement clause, because if his no-movement clause isn't there, is Seattle going to pick up a $10 million goalie? No. No. No then, way. But then they won't take Drager. They exactly. save Drager, but then you have a... You have to get rid of one of the two, and it's probably going to be Chris Drager. Unless you can find someone to take on Bobrovsky... You do whatever you can. You wash the GM's house. You wash his car. You, you know, take his ugly daughter to prom or something. Like, whatever GM takes that on, you basically just thank him because he saved your franchise. Exactly. Because $10 million a year for Borowski, like, at the time of the signing, was that was head-scratching. At the time, it was like, huh? Because they had just, you know, drafted Spencer Knight. They drafted Spencer yeah. Knight before signing Bobrovsky to this seven year. And very clearly, that means either you don't have confidence in Bobrovsky or Bobrovsky. There we go. Bobrovsky. I can't speak. <laughs> I don't speak Russian names very well. So, very clearly, you don't have confidence in him or you don't have confidence in Spencer Knight. Like, that's not good with your goaltenders. Like, and that's why I feel like they're going to add, like, if Bobrovsky moves his no mo- waves his no movement clause, and then you can just trade Drieger for something instead of losing him for nothing to Seattle. Then, like, that's what you've got to try to do anyway. Yeah. I mean, it sucks to lose Chris Drieger because he looks like he's going to be a, a solid, maybe maybe a solid starter to, he's you know, like a very good backup. He's like 26, too, so he can get better. Like, 26 yeah. is, like, 18 for a goalie. He's not going to be the, like, you know, the next bet. He's not going to be the next carry price, obviously. No way. But my point I was going to make earlier about Nikita Kucherov is he looked like dog crap in game one. And put up three points. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, granted, a lot of those happened to be he was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and one power play goal that was basically just a poke. Yeah. But he didn't look very good. And 
he's still scoring. Yeah, Tampa crushed them in game. And then in you game got, one. like, Tampa's defensive core. The fact that they added David Savard to a team that already had Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev, Ryan McDonough, Eric Cernak, who's fantastic, Jan Ruda, oh, yeah. Luke Shen. Ron Yuta is... He's very underrated. I was watching him in the game against the Islanders. Yeah, they he put makes him with Victor Hedman. He makes a lot of great plays. Like, there's a reason that you put him on a line with Victor Hedman. Oh, yeah. Like, Sergeyev and Savard let McDonough do his own thing with the other two guys. Like, and now we uh, move on to the second-round series in the Central, which is Tampa and Carolina. This was really disappointing to me. I was really hoping for, like, a nice banger of a seven-game series. But it's also not shocking, though. Like, no, because... A, Carolina needs to learn how to just play in the playoffs. Like, this happens to every young team, right? And they also seem just beat up on the really bad teams in the Central. And at the same time, like, playing Nashville couldn't have been easy either. Like, that's a physical yeah. matchup in four straight overtime games. Yeah, especially true. Like, I think two of them were double overtime, no? I know one of them was. Yeah, a couple went to double overtime. So, like, that's just exhaustion right there. And then Tampa just kind of, the games that Tampa won, they won pretty big. Against Florida. Yeah. The the thing with Tampa is you got to be able to, like, you can't let them get going. Like, once they get two goals, it's just going to snowball on you. Yep. Like, you have to stop them, like, early and often. If they score in the first period, you are in trouble. Because, like, they've just got so much talent, dude. Like, we just talked about that defense. You've also got another best goalie in the league candidate, Andre Vasilevsky, who's just ridiculous in his own right. Who's somehow underrated. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess it's not really a shock because of the team he plays on. But when you've got Steven Stamkos, who somehow might be the third best forward on this team. Oh, yeah, if that's your third best forward, you're in a good spot. Yeah, you've got Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point. I don't even know who's better between those two. Because, like, I get Kucherov gets all the points. But when you watch Braden Point, he's everywhere. He's making all the plays. Oh, yeah. He's in a perfect spot every time. And when he finishes... Braden Point is the perfect foil to Nikita Kucherov. Nikita Kucherov doesn't necessarily play defense that well. He doesn't play bad, but he's not like, you know, he's not ever going to be like a Selkie nominee. Mm-hmm. But Braden Point plays defense really well, underratedly, I think. Oh, Lord, yeah. Which, I mean, defense from any, like, you could kind of say everybody on Tampa is underrated in a way. Because, like, that's just a collective thing. Yeah, but as a top-line center, though, I think he's underrated as a defensive center. Because mm-hmm. you typically think, like, oh, Steven Stamkos is your top-line center. No, Braden Point is your top-line center. Oh, he has to be. And he's... That's nothing against Stamkos either. No, Point is just that damn good. He is so good. And the reason why the Tampa Bay Lightning can be so good is he is on a $5 million contract right now. And how long is he on that deal for? I'm not sure. I know sure. it was a bridge deal back in 2019. I think only two or three more years. Because I know it was both him and Miko Rantanen. There was a whole lot of... Him, Rantanen, and Line A were the big restricted free agent class where everyone's like, oh, what are these guys going to get? Any he, offer sheets? I would say he got the least amount of money, and he's arguably the best player of those three. Oh, man. Which, he's he might be the most underrated player in the league, Braden Point. Yeah, now that Alexander Barkov is out of the is out of the bag, and or everyone Huberto. knows about him. Huberto is ridiculous, too, but we've talked about Florida already. Yeah. I, mean, I think the biggest story coming out of this is Dougie Hamilton's postgame. I, w- I wouldn't say crying because he just he didn't say it as in like you know this is craft like this shouldn't happen. He said it in more of a like yeah that team's eighteen million over the cap. What do you do? And I think that's part of why Tampa's gonna be tough to beat just because they have that much talent. Yep. And they happen to have the right player get hurt at the right time. Yep. I mean, did they push the surgery back a little longer than they needed to? Probably. Probably. 
Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's in the rule book. If it's in the rule book, it's fair game. If you're telling me that any other general manager in the league would not have done the same thing, you are so wrong. Exactly. Any other GM in the league that's got a chance to do that, you do it. You absolutely do. Like, for example, Edmonton. What if James Neal was like, and I'm like, Edmonton's just the first team that comes to mind as a cap team, right? Like, imagine if they got to add, like, Imagine if they were able to add Kyle Palmieri for the playoffs, for example, and then, like, because James Neal was injured in the regular season. You bring him up, and then all of a sudden, hey, doesn't matter with your cap, and you've got an extra player. Absolutely. Patrick Kane is a great example of this. When the Chicago Blackhawks won. Oh, yeah, won, 2015. Yeah, he broke his collarbone and missed half the season. They went out and got a couple of players added to the roster, and then when he came back, no one complained about it then. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how Tampa got David Savard as well, and that's how they kept, like, they didn't have to trade anybody. Like, they were putting Tyler Johnson on waivers. They're like, okay, we're going to get rid of Tyler Johnson's contract because we can't afford anybody else. Then and then Kucherov suddenly, yeah, hurt. Kucherov is hurt, yeah. And then it's like, oh, we can do whatever now. We don't have to trade anybody else away other than Johnson, and we're, then we can trade a first-round pick for David Savard. Which I think Kucherov came back early still from his surgery because he did not, like I'm, like I'm telling you, he, is not, he did not play well in that first game of the Florida series. He did not look right. He was slow. Which that might also be, you know, hey, he just missed yeah, the full season. Yeah, that too. Where I, if the Tampa Bay Lightning could have brought him back three weeks before the season ended, oh, 100%. they would have done it. Because, like, you don't just have a player's first game back be in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely you not. do not do that. That's asking for trouble. That's asking for a bad playoff game. Imagine if he's, like, super rusty and looked worse than he did, and then you guys lose the first two games because Nikita Kucherov isn't, you know, Nikita Kucherov. Exactly. I think there's a lot of crying about that. That's unwarranted. Gord Miller, he's the absolute worst person in hockey. I think so. You see, I can get being frustrated about it though, because it's like that team. It like Carolina in Carolina's case, that team was so much better than they were. Yeah, but I also think even without circumventing the cap, Tampa Bay is way better than Carolina, anyways. That's true. Like that outside true. of like, where would you give Carolina any any advantage in a hockey game over the Lightning? Power play, no. No. Penalty Offense? kill, maybe. Just the, and like, if your penalty kill is better than the other team's penalty kill. But is their penalty kill better than Tampa's power play? Absolutely no. not, no. no. Tampa's power play is was clicking at 40% coming into the game one of the Eastern, or not Eastern Conference Finals. The but semifinals. The semifinals. I mean, it would be the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm, but we've got another East team playing in the West team right now. Yeah. So, um, any closing thoughts on, like, Carolina's situation? Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Dougie Hamilton. He's a good defender, but he's not as good as he thinks he is, I think. And, like, it depends on the fit, too. Like He's going to get overpaid. Someone's going to regret signing him. With a flat cap? It's, I'm curious to see how much he gets with a flat cap. Will he get, like, what Petrangelo got? Probably not. I could honestly see a team like Ottawa that needs a big splash and just wants, like, a marquee free agent bringing in a marquee name because they haven't had a marquee player in a while. Mm-hmm. I could see them reaching and giving him $8 million per year. If they do that for, like, seven. Three, four, three or four years, it's not so bad. Three or four, it's a great contract, but I don't think you're going to get three or four. He's probably going to want the full seven at eight. And $56 million for Dougie Hamilton, who's arguably already on the decline. I don't think you do it. Uh, yeah, it's such a... Mm. And I've always been a big Dougie Hamilton supporter. It just like it's unfortunate for Carolina because like you're building up something so nice after just not being a good team for like a decade plus. I think they'll be fine though because I think their front office has it together. And their defense, Rob, their defensive core right now is really really good. Yeah, and Rod Brendamore is 
a great coach. A great coach, yeah. Like, and they're probably going to lose another good defenseman to Seattle unless they protect four defensemen, which if you only protect four forwards, then you're losing a good forward too. I mean, that's just the part of being a really good team. You're going to lose someone good. It's just a shame that they have to lose someone that good yeah. like, after one of the best seasons that they've had in recent memory. All right, so now we're going to move on to the East. So, Ooh, the East was interesting. So my picks, for some reason, they either went to the, divi- went to the semifinals or they lost in – Four or five games in the first round being my picks are Edmonton, Washington, Vegas, and Tampa. Nice. So obviously Edmonton got swept, and then Washington won a game and then lost four in a row. Washington looked. None of them looked particularly close. Uh, Washington looked. Ugh. That Anthony Mantha trade, like after the playoff series, oh. is starting to look more and it's more lopsided. And we're gonna be able, we're gonna talk so much about the Red Wings. Yeah. Like there's there's so much to talk about with the Wings, but we're not gonna get there yet. Anthony Mantha looked good at the beginning of the trade, and then he was just sluggish throughout the playoffs, too. Didn't and then he did there. that Anthony Mantha thing where he doesn't look like he's moving his feet. Exactly. When like, he's moving his feet, he's an elite dominant player, but when he stops moving his feet, he's just hes not even a good player at that point. Like, he just has a good shot. Anthony Mantha is a player that if he had his head in the game, he could be doing what Miko Rantanen is doing in Colorado. Ex- like, you've got yeah. a six foot five big guy who can move. That's a good comp. Yeah, like you've got a six foot five big guy who can move and be physical and shoot. Like, they're almost identical players if Mantha's got his head right. But when he doesn't, he's just a big body. I don't I don't foresee it getting any better for Washington, especially going back to the normal format in the East. The Eastern Conference is deep next year. And like they've just been on the decline for like I don't even want to say decline, because that cup win, like I'm, if I say it's an outlier, that's going to sound like I'm generalizing because, like, I don't really want to say that because they obviously, like, they played great that entire run. But they're not a good playoff team. And they haven't been in their entire run with, like, Ovechkin. And I think a lot of that is Ovechkin. Ovechkin doesn't play defense. Mm. When they won the cup, he played a lot of defense. And, like, can he even play defense now that he's as old as he is? Like, he can back check and at least give effort for sure. Ovechkin's fit. If he were to leave Washington... He should need to go to a place where, like, he can just play power play minutes and maybe play third or fourth line minutes. And still, he'd still get opportunities to score even strength, but he's just not that 20-minute-a-night guy anymore. Yeah, no, if you put him on the ice for 20 minutes, you better have a really good bunch of guys around him, which, I mean, the Capitals do. But But I don't know if they have a great group around him. Yeah, but when it comes to the playoffs, it's like you see teams like the Bruins ousting them in five. Oh, and then you've got Ilya Samsonov making boneheaded plays in overtime. Yeah. That was bad. Yeah, there's been a couple of plays in overtime. Bad goalie yeah. plays. Especially in the Eastern Division, now that Next I think series. about it. Yeah. Remember remember what I was saying about teams not really expecting overtime goals to happen like early in overtime? Yeah. Tristan Jari fits that pretty well. Because yeah. he turned it over, what, 30 seconds into overtime in Game 5 in the most pivotal game of Pittsburgh season? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like uh, the other the other series, sorry to interrupt you, was the Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Islanders. Oh yeah, I, not to be like I forgot to segue. That's not to fault. be like anti-Boston, but Boston absolutely crushed Washington. They did, and it was more to me about how bad Washington was. Yeah, because Boston, like Taylor Hall, did have one really beautiful goal where he spun right in front of Samsonov and just kind of flipped it up over him. Like if you get a chance to watch that, that Taylor Hall goal is one of the prettiest of the playoffs. So Taylor far. Hall looked like Taylor Hall against, when he got to Boston against Washington. Yeah. And at, in the regular season, he did too. 
But I, I would say even in the second round series against the Islanders, he didn't look bad. Spoiler alert, Islanders beat the Penguins. Which, I mean, and the Penguins, man. If you don't know, now you know. Man, the Penguin, Chris Letang was their leading scorer. That's a problem. Big problem when your defenseman is your leading scorer. And it's not even that if a defenseman's your leading scorer. It's a big problem when you have uh, Sidney Crosby on your team and a defenseman's a leading Sydney scorer. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Jason Zucker, and Jeff Carter, who played great after the trade. None of those guys are outscoring Chris Letang in the playoffs. That but is a problem. I think we're not giving Chris Letang enough credit. He played really well for being Chris Letang. Like, that sounds awful to say, but, like, I think Chris Letang had probably his best stretch of hockey since they won the Cup in the, the what, six games they played in the playoffs? Which, yeah. I He was good, don't get me wrong, but it's like Crosby, Malkin, everybody else has to be. Yeah, that's the more. issue is he was the best player and he shouldn't be the best player. Exactly. And Lord knows that they regret giving away Marc-Andre Fleury to Vegas now. Oh, absolutely. My God. And, like, I get that at the time it was It's the right move. move. At the time, it was the right move, and, like, I'm not trying to say it was If you go back and do it 100 times over, it has to be the right move mm-hmm. because if we did sim that 100 times over in real life, I think this might be the only time that Marc-Andre Fleury is still this dominant as he is right now. Which Just because you don't expect a goalie at his age who was already fantastic, really good, really good, to go on the decline and then just all of a sudden pick his play back up exactly. like to be better than he arguably was. Yeah, because like, if he stayed in Pittsburgh and Matt Murray went to Vegas, who's who knows how that would have went. Like, Who knows if Pittsburgh would have still been... They might still be in this situation. Yeah, I mean, it could very well just be that Vegas has a much better defensive core than Pittsburgh does. And that could just have been the difference. But, I mean, Jari gave up a lot of tough goals. A lot of goals that, like... I get that he didn't have much help from his defense on some of those. Yeah. But they're still just not great goals to be given up. Especially, like, how if many you're of you're a star goalie, I would say, yeah, those got to be made saves. But when your D-man's getting walked back and he gets walked back from the blue line all the way to the face-off dot and the dude cuts in and rips it over your glove, like, there's really not much you can do about that against an NHL shot. The problem is he gave up so many glove-side goals that it's like, I get it, he's not a star. But you just got to be better than that. And you need, like, don't There's be- not many of those gloves have goals where, like, I'd be super upset about. Like, I watched most of the goals that Tristan Jari gave up, and I feel like a lot more of them were on the defense than than the goalie. Like, I, I get like you need multiple saves. In the playoffs, you need your goalie to bail you out more than Tristan Jari did, mm-hmm. but you also can't put your goalie in that position that many times. It also probably is like the Islanders are just a bad matchup for the Penguins. Cause you- yeah can't screw around against the islanders you can't be making mistakes against the islanders and they're so defensively sound that and they're just such a, like that's the best coach in the nhl barry trotz yes yeah. i don't think it's close like i don't like what brindamore maybe maybe i don't, I don't think brindamore is a barry trotz league like that's the only guy that you can even like compare like the, the only talent even to thinking. what he gets out of the talent which i mean the islanders they're structured pretty perfectly. Outside of, like, having Leo Komarov on a line with Matthew Barcel kind of bothers me a bit, but I get why they do it. I get that it's for the purpose of defensive responsibility. And it also allows Barzell not to just get bullied. That's Last true. year against Tampa, he got bullied. Yes, he did. And he didn't in game one, spoiler alert. But talking about what, ta- or, um, 
You know what the key difference is in Washington now that we're talking about the Islanders? Hmm. The biggest subtraction from Washington is Barry Trotz. Oh, 100%, because he's gone after that cup run. and He's a defensive-minded coach, and suddenly they can't play defense anymore. Yeah, and then Todd Reardon. Lord knows that wasn't... (laughs) Todd Reardon over Barry Trotz. What a great choice that was. Yeah, I get it. He was the hot up-and-coming coaching prospect. Todd Reardon had a very similar coming up as Jeff Blaschel. Mm-hmm. Where they at the time that they picked a new coach, he was the hot coaching prospect coming out of the AHL. Fair enough. Like, and if you want to replace, because they didn't have like the money to pay Barry Trotz, is that correct, or did they just lowball him? They just lowballed him. They had the money. <sighs> They're in DC, dude. DC like is like the richest place in the world, or not in the world, in the country. Yeah, that's like, true. A bunch of the like surrounding counties are the richest counties oh, in yeah, America. Oh yeah, the DMV area. Yeah, that, they true. had plenty of money to pay, and they just lowballed them. And you know, all right, we're just not going to pay you that much. Which, like, to do that to a coach that just won you the cup is bold. See, but their front office didn't think it was the coach; they thought it was the players. That's true. Which, like, yeah, when you have they couldn't have been more wrong. Kuznetsov playing the way he did, I get why you think that. But look at Evgeny Kuznetsov now; he's probably on his way out of town. He's also probably off the cocaine. That's probably the problem. Oh, maybe he's on it too much, and that is the problem. No. But. I feel like hockey's the only sport where you do cocaine and you get better. Well, it all, I'm, I'm, I mean, kidding. I'm kidding. I was going to say, it all depends. <laughs> I don't know how cocaine works. So, uh, oh, hey. I know is Buck Cherry loves the cocaine. He loves the cocaine. <laughs> there you go. So, what we got next? Semifinals. All right. So the You want to start got- east or west? Or not east or west, but... You know. well, let's go with the game we that. Let's go with the game that's on right. Or no, because they already played game one yesterday. Tampa and New York. I forgot that they already played a game. All right. What's your prediction for this? My prediction before yesterday was Tampa and seven. It was already Tampa and seven. I still am gonna go with that. Mine's Tampa. Mine was Tampa and seven, but after yesterday, I almost feel like Tampa and six is more likely. It's Tampa and six. Yeah, dude. Tampa looked awful. We talked about this with Vegas. Like Tampa and six. Yeah. You think Tampa's going to win in six instead of seven? I think it's more likely after game one than before game one. Oh, you think like, they're going to just get it right completely? Okay, so we're talking about Vegas and how Vegas looked awful game one right, right. against Colorado. Same I think thing. That, was like exha- that was just as much exhaustion as that was them just looking terrible. Oh, I, you don't think that Tampa wasn't necessarily exhausted? I mean, they had till Tuesday off, but usually if you get dead exhaustion, like... New York played the same amount of games, though. Like, both those teams played six games in the first round. Where yeah, that's, that's not what I'm saying, though. Would you argue that New York's games were less physical than Tampa's? Because those first two Florida games were, I think, by far, way more physical than any game that the Islanders played. That's true. And I think they were just getting, they were just worn down, beat up. And then you have from Tuesday off until Tampa only, Tampa only played five games in the first round, or the second round. They played six. No, they played five. Oh, five. Yeah, no, first round they played. I was Second gonna round say, they played five. I was going to say, they had from Tuesday until Sunday. Yeah, no, so that long thinking. layoff, think about this, though. I was going to send this to you in a text message, but I decided to save it till today. Do it. Think about it, because they only had, at most, during the regular season, because it was so compressed, three days off. So usually about three days off is probably going to be your, I'd say it's the happy medium where you're going to not be as rusty, but you're going to be rested. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're rested, but they're rusty because they haven't played against an NHL team in five six days which makes sense and they hadn't done that all year and they still came out and they put up 40 shots against the islanders the thing was though they weren't very high quality chances though they weren't getting any rush opportunities 
But they still had some really good chances. Varlamov made some really good saves. That is true. Like there, And there was one where Braden Point had a breakaway in the first period, and he just missed the net wide. Yeah. And that's why I think Tampa is more apt to win it in six now than seven, because the Islanders probably threw their best punch. I don't know if the Islanders get better than what was game one. The thing with the Islanders... Maybe game three when they go home for the first game. But Tampa knows they can beat the Islanders. They did it last year. And Tampa played terrible in game one. Granted, the Islanders gave them more fits than anybody else in the playoffs did last year. That's fair. And the Islanders are just that team that if if you're sleeping against the Islanders, they're going to get you. It's like the New Jersey Devils, you know, in the mid-90s. Martin Broder's Devils. Also, the game-winning goal, Andre Vasilevsky never gives that goal up. Oh, yeah, and that was Andre Vasilevsky giving up a bad goal straight on from the point. That's also, I think, Vasilevsky giving up a bad goal in general. That's also, I think, a part of the problem from, you know, not playing since Tuesday till Sunday is Vasilevsky. I mean, he made a lot of really good saves, but they there were weren't a couple sharp. Of defenses. There was one sequence where both Jan Ruda and Victor Hedman made saves that Vasilevsky was going to let in on the corner. Yeah, Which, he I mean, didn't. That, there's plenty of sequences of that that you can pick out, I get, but still. He didn't look as sharp as he usually would. So I think that Tampa took New York's best punch, and for 57 minutes, they looked awful. Then on that 6 for on 4. Three minutes of that game, they scored that goal, and they looked terrible all night, and they still had a legit chance. Which is the scary thing about Tampa. Yeah. That's why I still think they're going to win this series. It's just. I don't see the Islanders losing one out of five, like only winning one out of the next five, you know? Yeah, I could see that. Because the but Islanders are just too dangerous of a team. Like, also, you give them. I don't think Tampa's lost on the road yet this year. No, once a Florida game five, Panthers. Okay, they've lost once on the road this year in the playoffs, which that's incredible. And that was when Florida had Spencer Knight. That was Spencer Knight's first game. Yeah, and that was kind of an energy thing, and they figured him out. I honestly believe that when Vasilevsky starts playing the way he should, which I think he will next game, I think he'll bounce back. And I think Tampa's going to win game two. And I'm not sure if it's particularly close. I'm more interested in game four of this series. Not two or three. Like two or three, yeah, I'm going to watch both of those games for sure. But game four is likely to be, we're likely to be going into that game and it's 2-1, right? Yeah. It's probably a 2-1 series, whether or not, you know, Tampa or New York is leading. But that's in New York. And then whether it's 3-1 or 2-2, then you go back to Tampa. If that's a 3-1 series and, say, Tampa's got that lead 3-1, the series is probably over in five. Yeah. But And then I'm curious, like, what are the Islanders going to do when they start losing? What adjustments is Trotz going to make? Like, yeah, that might have been, like, their best punch, quote-unquote. But how about their counterpunch? Is their counterpunch better than their straight-on punch? Yeah, their counterpunch is, hey, Matthew Barzell, go. That's true. Go. Or, hey, Kyle Palmieri, maybe bail us out a bit. Which Palmieri has been yeah. great in this playoff. Honestly, you could argue. Like, I don't think Matthew Barzell's goal was soft. I think he just kind of surprised Vasilevsky. And I think he was... Because Barzell does that move where he goes... He speeds down the wing with the defender on his shoulder. Where he goes from forehand to backhand. And he beats people that way. Yep. And he's he got a between-the-legs goal like that a couple of years ago, too. Mm-hmm. And I think he was... I think Vasilevsky was cheating that way to try to, you know... If he makes that save, then obviously they don't score. They only score one goal. It's a different story. Mm-hmm. But I think he was cheating to try to stop that. I think he just surprised Vasilevsky. And then he opened up his pads, and yeah. Barzell's like, oop, give me that, five hole. And now let's go to the other one, the one that we're watching right now, where Vegas is up one nothing in game <laughs> one over the Montreal Canadiens. We're in the first intermission right now, and 
Well, how about a big underdog in the semifinal? What's your predict? What's your prediction? Vegas in probably five. I'm going Vegas in six. In six, but I think I'm being nice to Montreal. I was gonna say like I've got like you just don't know with both Carey Price and Montreal's defensive system, and the fact that Montreal's got a lot of veteran players on that roster that have been around <clears throat> have been around the playoff atmosphere before. So like Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, for example, both of yeah. those guys. I could see them along with, you know, Carey Price standing on his head. I could see Montreal sneaking two games. It was either five or six, but I'm gonna go five. Yeah, I just don't think I think the talent disparity is huge here. Especially like in that forward group. Yeah, not that like Nick Suzuki and Suzuki. Suzuki. Suzuki, oh my goodness. Wow. Stay hot, AP. Nick Suzuki, uh, he's going to be a fantastic, probably 60 to 70 point guy going forward. But he might be a Selkie candidate, too. Like I don't get, know about that. Like at his, when he gets at his peak, maybe. He's a really good defender. There's a lot of, I think, overhyping that goes on with any prospect in Montreal because this happens any all prospect the time. In Canada, any prospect in a big Canadian city. Yeah, I think Suzuki's going to be a solid player. Selkie candidate. I don't necessarily think that, unless because usually if you're a Selkie candidate, like your defensive game has to be is usually really good, like from the get go. And I don't feel that with Nick Suzuki. I think it's okay for being a kid coming out of Wisconsin because I don't even think he was that good defensively in Wisconsin. Fair enough. Like in Wisconsin, he'd leak all the time to get you know down the wing and he'd score goals that way. But I just don't. I don't see him as that. You've sent me plenty of things where, like, he's the next Patrice Bergeron. That's not what I think. That is not no, what I think. No, that's, that's that not was, what I think. That's other people's quotes, not mine. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying you just sent it to me, and, like, I almost puked when I heard that. Like, that's so disrespectful yeah, to Patrice I think that's Bergeron. ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous, too, and that's putting way too much on Suzuki, too. Yeah. Which, like, he's still good. He's still going to be really good. In the yeah. future, like, him, Caulfield, Kakanyemi. That's three pretty decent forwards coming up. I Excuse don't know me, Caulfield's the one that came out of Wisconsin, not Suzuki, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, Caulfield's the guy that's leading yeah. out. Like, yeah, yeah, my bad, goals. my bad. But I still don't think Nick Suzuki, like, just watching him, I've not, like, you'll notice, like, when a guy's really good defensively or really solid, like, for instance, Dylan Larkin, he's not fantastic defensively. He has really good games defensively, though, mm-hmm. and you notice those. Every time I watch Nick Suzuki, I don't notice him on the defensive end. I notice him in the offensive end, but I don't really notice him playing defense. That's fair. Like, I thought he defended Matthews and Marner pretty well. Like, he was... He did a really good job. I mean, you have to give him credit. I mean, they won that series. Although, one thing that he got... He got dominated in the face-off circle by Nick Foligno. That's also... That's also, like, being a young... A young player against an experienced player. Also, veteran... Or, refs tend to give the veteran, like, more leeway, like, when they, you know cheat a little bit Which, like yeah that's just kind of how it is i think it's crap and you shouldn't do that but it's like when the referees like there was this is an nfl quote and i'm only gonna like speak that but cam newton was like oh what do i gotta do to get that call ref and he's like be an mvp you're not tom brady or he's yeah. like you're too young to get that call something like that yeah which it shouldn't be that way but that's Ever. just how it is which like and i don't know what you do to fix that either like i don't know if there's any way to fix that it, it's human nature refs. like which, exactly, like robot refs, which, yeah. oh, Lord, if that happened. Which, if you're having a robot ref, that means the puck's getting dropped from... Where? Yeah. The ceiling? Or are we <laughs> just going to, like, have the puck just sitting there on the face-off circle? You know, <laughs> like schoolyard hockey? Oh, tap, you know, tap on each side of it three times and then go? Ouch. Let's not do that. I mean, yeah, no. face-offs are a big part of the game, but that's just... Mm. It's something you're never going to get rid of. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's true. But, like... 
other than that game two where Felino just ate him alive in the faceoff circle, he had a really good series. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, he obviously had to have a good series if they're going to move on. That's true. I just don't think that they're good enough yet to beat Vegas. Which I'm right there with you. Like, which if they, if they do beat Vegas, it'll be because Carey Price has like a 950 save percentage for the whole series, and they win a bunch of games like two one. And like, it'll have to be like the whole. Like when Patrick Waugh won his first cup at age 20. The Habs won 10 overtime games in that yeah. stretch. They've only won two so far, and they're going to need to win like four against Vegas. It was a tough ask to ask them to beat Toronto. And then, eh, I wouldn't say like a huge ask to beat Winnipeg. Especially after Shifley got himself suspended. Yeah, but to beat Marc-Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights, who lost in the semi or in the, Stanley, or the Western Conference Finals, because we can call it that last year. And they also just, you know kind of a like i don't want to say they obliterate they, they colorado. waxed colorado pretty yeah. good like in the last like five games of those series they were the better team than colorado it was definitely definitive oh lord yeah and i know for a fact that if colorado was playing montreal i'd be picking colorado yeah so no way i'm picking montreal to beat vegas and that's just nothing against montreal i mean i'm still a little upset that they're in the semifinals. i but that's not really on them that's more of on like the format and the mm-hmm. better teams in the, the north Th- this is why we'll never have this this format again mm. this format's going to go away as soon as all travel restrictions are lifted just oh, yeah. because you can't have a division that's by far and away way worse than every other than every other division and then have a team from that division be a semi-finalist and just get waxed every year i mean i, mean, I guess we're going to see how montreal plays because they did outshoot vegas in that first period which i mean i know outshooting a team doesn't mean anything in terms of like how you played against them but yeah unless it's like a big shot difference like 12 to 8 in the first period whatever. i think i think a better metric to like judge it by is outchanced and outchanced and time on attack too if you see time on attack anywhere time on attack a little bit but you could also just have the puck along the boards on time on attack and never get a shot from like the oh, middle geez, of the ice man Sherratt just threw it over the glass oh well we got on a five, five on, on three four. It's only like twelve more seconds. Of, it's twelve seconds of a five on three. But it's also another a minute fifty eight and a minute forty eight that you got to kill off in penalty. Exactly. And if you're Montreal, you don't want to put Vegas on the power play as much as yeah, possible. If you're Montreal, you don't want any disadvantages at all. Which I mean, the one thing, the one thing with Montreal, they've gotten shorthanded goals all throughout the regular season and in this postseason. They've been getting shorthanded goals too. So, weirdly enough, they might be a better team shorthanded than five on five. And there you go, right here, they're going to get a shot. Oh, Suzuki tripped, never mind. Hey, you better get back. Oh, we got out of the box quick, though. But go. the thing about, you think about shorthanded goals, think about the teams they played, though, like Toronto. Like, how how responsible is Toronto on the power play? Not very. Good question. You got Rasmus Sandin at the point. Yeah. Which, no disrespect to Sandin, but he's way too young to be your point man on the power play. Like, if he's going to be making mistakes the way he did. Absolutely. <clears throat> he and also had just... two turnovers that led to goals in that Game 5 loss, but that's that's talking about Toronto still. Yeah, it's just also the competition they're going against. Vegas is, you got Mark Stone on your power play. He's going to win the Selkie this year. And he has to win it. Vegas, like, if I were to pick Vegas versus Tampa, I don't know who would. Like, I'm going to refrain from picking that until I get a cup final. Oh, really? Because that was going to be my next question. Well, eh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. But it, it's still, like... Vegas versus Tampa, that's going to be a really tough series. And Montreal. I got my pick. They just don't have the top-end talent outside of their goaltender, is what I want to say. Yeah. Yet. 
I think three yeah. years down the line, we could see. If we saw this in the Stanley Cup Finals, I wouldn't be shocked. Obviously, it'd be an older Vegas team, but I think that's when Montreal would be more capable of Imagine beating them. Imagine Nick Suzuki being like an actual top-line star center against Vegas, the team that traded him. Also, where's Pacioretty? Come on, man. It's the power play. I know on the bench, but still. Yeah. I think it's the second unit. It is. <clears throat> yeah, it's the second unit. There's right. no... Great radio. No Petrangelo. Oh, that is Petrangelo. Never mind. But regardless. Right, so on to the finals. Who you got? I mean, I've got Tampa versus Vegas in the final, like I already kind of said. Yeah, hypothetically between the two. I mean, it's easy to just say, like, oh, it's going to be six games because, like, six games is kind of just, like, the obvious one. I think, like, this is a series that can go seven, though. Because. Oh, yeah. My, my pick is Tampa seven in overtime. Man, if there's a game seven overtime, woohoo! I don't know if I'm picking that because I think that, or like I just what my heart wants to see. I want a game seven in overtime. Like the fact when we watched that uh, Vegas versus Minnesota game seven, I wanted that in overtime so bad. Yeah, so bad. And like I wanted the same thing for Toronto and Montreal. But one of the most exhilarating things I've ever watched is when Pittsburgh eliminated Ottawa I, in you know, 2018 overtime. Yeah, I didn't watch the Stanley Cup final, but I was watching that game and. I don't remember who scored. The, I know it was Crosby who set up the winner. Oh, jeez, Carrie, what are you doing? That was Way beautiful. Well, that, that was a great. That was a slap pass. pass. That's why. Oh yeah, he read slap shot. Power play goal for the Golden Knights. Yeah, Golden Knights up two nothing. Now it's kind of see. It's going to be interesting to see how Montreal responds. But back to the Stanley Cup Finals. Indeed. Who you got? I'm going to go Tampa in seven. Although, let it be known that if it's six, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yeah. It's just, I feel more trust in Tampa's top end. Oh, yeah, no, Carey bit on that for sure, and nobody could get over. Also, Alec Martinez, really, really underrated defenseman. Super clutch, too. And super, like, you know, cup final winner, like, on his home ice, too, no less. Like, uh, like what a celebration, by the way. Like, I oh, think yeah. he's, like, the only, is he, like, the only player since the 80s to do that? I couldn't tell you. A cup overtime winner on home ice. Like, I can't. The only one I can think of is Colorado in Game 6 with Uvi Crew, but I think that was on the road. Or no, it was Game 4 in 96, but anyway. So going Tampa in 7. I think eventually their top-end talent is what's going to win out. Just oh, because there is talent on the Vegas tons, roster. Tons, But it's would you argue they have a player as good as Nikita Kucherov? I don't think they even have a player as good as Steven Stamkos. Yeah, I was going to say Stamkos, Braden Point's my next, yeah. They don't have a defenseman as good as Hedman for sure. Like Petrangelo's a monster. Like their top Vegas's top four is great, by the way. It is. You it's know, incredible. Theodore McNabb, Martinez, Petrangelo. That is a top five, top four in the league. But just against what Tampa's got, I will give them credit. Mark Andre Fleury can stand up to Andre Vasilevsky in terms of in terms of goaltending talent. Mm-hmm. He might be better. I'm I'm not gonna like. Right now, I think he's better. Like in the playoffs, yeah, I'd say playoff Fleury over playoff Vasilevsky. Long term, no. Long term, I oh yeah, I definitely rather have Andre. But yeah, I'm gonna go seven. Like I just don't see Tampa losing that series. <clears throat> Me either. Another interesting fun fact I'm gonna leave you off with before we get into Red Wings talk. Do it. Is that in order to win a Stanley Cup, most teams have to have a Stanley Cup winner. The last team to not to not have a, Stan, a previous Stanley Cup winner on there was the Calgary Flames when they won their cup. 1989. Yeah. Sheesh. And, like, one thing I'm noticing with people that or teams that win the Cup, they've got to be, like, regulars in the playoffs before that. 
Yeah. Because you, you've got St. Louis. They were a playoff regular before they finally broke through. Tampa, how long did it take them? Most of the time. Like, the narrative around the last few teams that have won the Cups have been their playoff chokers. Like, Capitals, Blues, and Lightning. All yeah. of them. They were all considered playoff chokers. And then, like, Steve Eiserman's Red Wings. Same thing. Vegas right now. Like, Even if they... If they don't win the Cup this year, they're going to be known as playoff chokers because they've been to the semifinals. Twice. Or the final four. Yeah. No, this is their you, third time. Oh, yeah, no, this is their... No, no. Oh, wait, yeah. No, Last right, year. Right, and right, year right. For some reason, I thought they lost in the second round, but no, I, I'm wrong. And then, of course, that series against San Jose where they blew a 3-1 lead and then blew game seven. Yeah. Like, of course, there's controversy there. Yeah, but... I was going to say that's definitely not necessarily their fault. That was a really bad call. This has been the AP Pod. I'm Aaron Poling. I'm Aaron McClory. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on. Uh, catch me next week. Same time, same place. Bye.